He was once Lady Luck's favorite companion and he knew it. A child of the sun who enjoyed his golden glow. God's own gift who never stopped giving to Indian cricket. Today he's one with shadows and silence. Venturing out of his home only rarely, usually after sundown in a car driven by a cousin. Darkness fallen over his days like an endless winter. What must it be like to be Muhammad Azruddin now? His yesterday is destroyed by a single blow and his tomorrow rendered empty. I'm starting a podcast with a quote of Sharda Ogra's piece uh, from India today, long time ago. But this is the topic that we are going to address in today's podcast. It's not easy to talk about a fallen hero, a life that was so simple and so adorable for many of his fans, and a cultural transformation that became so complex of one Muhammad Azruddin. And today on Cricket with an Accent, we have never done this kind of an exercise, and I have two very able guests to help me do the honors. Uh, it's an honor to have uh, the great Sharda Ogra, who's always candid and right on the spot, coming back to the podcast. So that's a big compliment to the podcast and the confidence that we need from writers in the industry. Welcome to the show, Sharda. Thanks so much. Thank you so much, Sakib, for having me. And thank you for your very kind words. No, these these words are genuine. And then again, the podcast guest resident, Vijay Arumagam, graces this podcast once again to represent the fans' view, while Sharda will recall how it was to cover Muhammad Azruddin in a professional capacity. Vijay, how are you? I'm very good, Sakib. Thank you very much for having me again. And uh, again, as I've said, it's an absolute privilege and an honor to be on a podcast with Sharda. Growing up, if someone had told me that uh, one day I would be sharing a panel with her, uh, even as a fan, I wouldn't have believed it. So I'm still pinching myself. So it's going to be a great honor for me to be part of this panel. And Sharda, we won't embarrass you much further, but come on, when it comes to cricket writers, you are royalty. And thank you for mixing up with the commoners. And let's talk more, Azhar. <laughs> no, I'm just saying, thanks, thanks, Vijay. Thank you so much. I mean, I have great respect for fans because of what they go through in Indian cricket. Uh, and for the fact that they read uh, and they do podcasts like this, it's great to see this whole world building around of conversations around cricket, around memories, around the future. So it's terrific. I'm so happy to be here. Thank you, Vijay. Thank you, Sakit. And uh, like I said, already in the introduction, it's a very delicate exercise when you try to recall a career that not only played in our living rooms, and we all have our own recollections, how it underwent. So I'll start you with Sharda, and it's the same question for you, Vijay, as well. So Sharda, you can go first. What does the name or the words Muhammad Azuddin mean to you if somebody randomly asks you? I know this is a podcast, but what first comes to mind? Uh, tragic, I think, um, you know, uh, because of the fact uh, that his career ended how it ended. And I'm saying tragic because uh, it represented so many things. Azhar represented so many things uh, to all of us growing up uh, in the 80s. Um, I was in my teen teens in the 80s and uh, he was our hero. You know, he was like the generation that had followed uh, after Sunil Gavaskar, who also was our hero. Indian cricket was in a very strange phase. And here was this guy who was just incandescent in so many ways when he, when he batted. Uh, he was a different kind of a fielder. People told us about, um, you know, Patodi as a fielder. We we saw Azhar playing on, on our television screens. We could see our heroes on TV. And what happened after that, I think it just became 
just the most awful uh, way that anyone's career could have played out. Of course, now he is where he is. Um, so I, I, I must tell you, so I just recorded that thing with Netflix for the big documentary. And one of the questions they asked me is that, uh, would you like to uh, meet Azhar? I said, absolutely, I would like to meet Azhar today. I would like to sit across him and say, tell me, uh, everything, tell me the truth and I won't judge you, you know, because you just want to know what happens to people when, when, when things like this, uh, when you get caught up in the most frightening kind of, um, discovery that takes place in, in, in cricket. I'm sure there are a lot of scarred teenage fans in their forties and their fifties, just sitting there shaking their heads. Uh, when you think, when you say the name Mohammad Azruddin. Vijay. Uh, thank you, Sakib. So for me, Mohammed Azruddin, it's a bit tough to describe or articulate him in a word or two. It's been 23 years since he last played for India, and he played for 16 years for India before that. I, to be honest, I didn't have much of an emotional attachment with Azhar, even during his playing days, like, say, I had for Ravi Shastri or a Sachin Tendulkar or a Shane Warne. During his career, he was a, a great artist, and at times he was a, a magician. Well, then he was a captain, not once, multiple times. Uh, and he was a very a complex uh, and I would say a much misunderstood person. Then he had all those controversies on and off the field. Uh, then, the, then, then he did his time for his crimes. Given that, in a way, I've moved on from his dark chapters of his cricketing life. I'd like to give him the benefit of doubt and let him do his current role as an administrator of cricket, a former player with his opinions on cricket and players, and an expert who's helping the current a lot of young cricketers. But it doesn't matter which way you look at it, there's a definite tinge of sadness about his legacy, which, which you can't wipe off. But the recent years, Sakib, um, you know, to put things into perspective, in a world where millions have died in 2020 to 2022 due to COVID and so many other natural disasters and wars, I'm sure I should be able to accept Azhar as a great cricketer with many flaws and a few sins for which he has done his time. So in a way, Sakib, I'm trying to be a bit philosophical here to tell you that, yes, it kind of hurts for me as a cricket fan who was, very, who was and who is still a very passionate fan and uh, was pretty much, pretty much uh, followed the entire Azhar's career. It's not like uh, somebody who was before my time. Uh, it, it feels a bit hurt, but I think given the, all the circumstances, we could give him the benefit of the doubt and we could move on as fans and we could let him live his life. I think that's the pragmatic way of looking at things uh, from a 2023 perspective for me, Sakib. I quite agree, Sakib, with what Vijay has said. He's put it philosophically and then you're thinking, right, this is the way to look at it. Because a lot of the time, all of us feel quite... Um, torn as to how to handle this <clears throat> this kind of situation. <clears throat> Excuse me. Particularly because you are seeing other cricketers that were caught up in uh, the match-fixing crisis and corruption scandals and all kinds of things. Hansi Kronier is no longer with us, you know. Uh, and you're seeing them go about their lives in public in a normal way, in a good way. And uh, it's like it's all forgotten. And <clears throat> if possible, I think cricket has become far more glossy than it used to be <clears throat> and and these things just get uh, pushed under the carpet and i think uh, vijay has said quite beautifully that look we've been through a pandemic 
what is match fixing relax everybody you know give him give him a chance so it, it that's probably a good way to look at it i think maybe in my head that's how i how i see it when i say look i want to talk to you i want to speak to you that's the, that's the journalist in me saying tell me tell me what happened um but it is it is yeah we have to we have to be able to forgive and you know you do know that the courts or everything turned up and there was a whole hullabaloo i think when he came to eden gardens and he rang the bell a, a, a couple of years ago or just after zoraguli became uh, became the uh, bcci president and there was a whole and i thought about it i said no it's it's fine gaje chadi is doing commentary you know wasim akram is doing commentary mark was doing commentary they were all chatting to bookies at some point i don't know if this is uh, this thing it's it, it's on record so it's, what's the big deal so i mean it was a big deal but yeah in perspective when you look back you think all right you know the, the guy should be given uh, a chance to uh, uh, i think he is he is living his life but i think in our heads we have to just sort of make that shift because he was india captain uh, you know things like that Thanks, uh, Sharda. So, Shakib, uh, I know you're the host, but I thought I would ask one question. You come from a very interesting background, right? Because you're an Indian Muslim who grew up in Old Delhi, and Muhammad Azharuddin was a captain with a Muslim background. And uh, in terms of what he has gone through, what were your memories of who Azhar was, and how do you look at his legacy now in 2023 when you look back? Yeah, it's a very uh, difficult question to process, and and I, I usually, Vijay, you know me well. We talk a lot. I usually personalize my context because I think, uh, you know, you have to be a very well-rounded person to give a wholesome view, and you have to have great recall, like you do or like Sharda does. Uh, I don't have that, but I I can vouch for how Azhar touched me. Uh, you know, as a young fan, uh, I was a huge fan of Sunil Gavaskar. Then Azhar enters our TV living rooms, scoring those three hundreds. and i slowly was becoming his fan but in my context you know living in a heavily muslim uh, neighborhood of old delhi uh, which was infatuated by imran khan and javed miazad and those you know our opponents so me and few guys uh, there i remember were rooting for india and mostly it was a pakistan kind of a support group and uh, in comes azhar you know at, at that level you know like i don't even remember 10 year 11 year old i would even ask some guys like why don't you root for india because we also have azhar playing here it wasn't good enough and then uh, slowly in my school which was a very different environment where you know i was the only muslim kid i remember as a 14 year old when azhar scored two back to back ducks in sharja the infamous akib javed hat trick one of a national level swimmer in my school bunch of us were discussing on a monday after sharja results have gone haywire for our team so he been pointed of course azhar would fail against pakistan and that point i took the comment so personal because here i was i was such a indian fan and i didn't expect you know my non muslim friends to talk about azhar in that vein and up to that point you both would remember azhar had three centuries against pakistan in test matches had a great decent record in odis i think scored 95 in his debut uh, in that world series tournament that ravi shastri won the audi and then even as his captain when vakar yunus was going through the batting line and he scored 78 not out so i kind of felt alienated with that comment why are these guys because i was already mad at the muslim neighborhood like for rooting for pakistan but i expected better from my friends in school and 5 6 years fast forward i'm in united states when azhar's name starts coming in match fixing i don't want to be philosophical philosophical and say some part of me died nothing like that happened but i was so upset 
it was literally like why it had to be Azhar, why you had to, you know, it had to be you to be the fixer. Because, you know, I was having my own identity battle all this time. A guy from old Delhi, mm. you know, hating on everybody rooting for Pakistan. I don't judge them now because, you know, there's a lot of water under the bridge. It's okay. People can choose whoever they want to support in a cricket team. You know, they might have their reasons. I was always, you know, India, Gavaskar, Kapil first. And I never rooted for Pakistan. I've said this on a podcast, even against Sri Lanka, West Indies, England, whatever. But when Azhar failed, a part of me was let down so much. And I was in the US that time, was not watching much cricket. So I was hearing about these unravelings uh, through the phone. And then finally, we got live cricket here in 99. And then I saw Azhar captain India for a World Cup. And then, you know, he didn't play much longer after that, after the Mukesh Gupta, Hansi Kranier episode, you know, became public. So yes, some part of you know, me really was not the same after that. It's a very personal grudge. You know, for a few years, I was very upset. I can talk about it now. I've seen life, what life has to offer, you know, beyond just Boris Becker and Azhar, my fallen heroes. So I don't know if I ever will forgive him. But at the same time, I'm with Vijay. You know, he served his time in some sort of a cricket exile. His name uh, for a casual fan or a younger fan, uh, you know, uh, the word fixer and all that other accolades do come while he was a great cricket player. So I think... Uh, a fall in public eyes is the biggest punishment he suffered. Now it's up to, you know, a lot of us to also remember what he has done for the game. So I have mixed feelings. I'm not as harsh on him, but at the same time, uh, I don't know if I'm giving, I'm being too evasive here. You know, if I'm giving an answer to take this podcast forward. So I, I'm going to tell, uh, I'm going to ask a question to you both now. What After what does the word Mohammed Azuddin mean? What are your first memories of Azhar, the cricketer? if we take this conversation forward, and I'm sure there's going to be, you know, a lot of Sakib. back and forth. Sorry. Yeah, Sakib, I have to ask you a question. Would you want to meet him and chat with him? Like I do, like desperately with my recorder and my notebook. You know, it's so with funny. A- Before this mm-hmm. podcast, I was talking to one of our common friends, Sahil, who mm-hmm. Vijay knows very well. And we were talking about Azhar, the fallen hero. And I asked him the same thing. If you run into him, would you mm-hmm. get a picture with him, you know, for your daughter? He said, mm-hmm. I would do that even though... I would like an apology, not to me, but to the fans. But he also understood like India is a complex society. You know, if he wants to, you know, apologize now, it's going to open a whole different can of worms. So I'm I'm there. If I get a chance, I don't know. Maybe now you put me on the spot. I may shake his <laughs> hand, but, you know, it's not like in 93 when I saw him practice at uh, Indira Gandhi Stadium. Uh, right. I was like, you know, we didn't have iPhones and I was glued watching him bat yes. against Yes. Know, Kumble and Raju in the nets. And then, of course, I saw Tendulkar back too. So, yeah, to answer your question, I would shake his hand. But, uh, okay. you know, may not, may not be the same response we would asked me in 2002. Okay. Vijay, you? Absolutely, Sharda. I would like to, I mean, to me, if I meet him up, I would definitely shake hands with him. I like, I'd like to have a conversation with him, right? You know, I would rather talk to him a bit about his captaincy style and how he looked at it and his laid-back nature, uh, yeah. you know, and I mean, because to me, at the end of the day, he has captain India uh, yeah. for a bit uh, with complex characters. And what I mean, yes, he has got a dark past, but we could still pick his brains in terms of how he made the batting look so easy or, you know, what was his approach to person management? To me, anyone who has been successful in life, they've done something right to get there. So picking someone's brains is always there. And uh, yeah, I mean, taking a selfie with him, why not? I mean, to me, as I said, right, uh, people have done... F- for how worse crime how worse. they are living okay, right? So yeah. that's okay. Perfectly okay with Yeah. So, you know, what my first memory of Azhar would be, I'm just sort of 
trying to play back like showreel in my head and i'm seeing him playing flick shots and i'm seeing him score a century at the eden gardens you know which is obviously not the first memory i had of him uh, but it's just that it's that old azuruddin you know the young azuruddin when he uh, literally he was like this elongated kind of a, a figure uh, in a distance who i was his collar up and you know that whole he he walked so casually uh, to the crease and he was he was such a beautiful batsman to watch um it's like he played right-handed the way left-handers play if you know what i'm saying i'm just getting a bit sort of romantic about this image that you have of him um it's that and his fielding i mean he was just exceptional he was uh, he was he is no matter what anyone can argue for whoever i think he's the greatest fielder uh, all um all round fielder india has produced uh, you know, i i did not see patoudi so i can maybe i will let's say arguably for that generation but azar was incredible he could field anywhere and he stood out um in contrast to everybody else around him our fielding standards are not great in those days uh, so it's that it's just he was incandescent you know that's what i i always think he just lit up uh cricket when he when he would turn up he would just he would just lit up the day he he's sort of like the kind of figure that you look now and you'll say um rishapath that he lights you know he comes to the crease and it's we're all is lit up everything is lit up he, he's like that different kind of a player but that kind of sentiment that you got you got that you would see something beautiful if you got a, if something i'm not comparing his batting to rishabh pant at all but if if he got going you would see something quite beautiful happen in front of you so vijay what are your memories uh, i know you have a lot to unpack here uh, if you want to take take over you know the microphone and uh, tell a young listener what what does vijay arumugam remember of a young azruddin back in the day so sakib uh, again it's it's a it's a long I mean, I can give a very long-winded answer. Brevity is never my strength. Um, see, eighty-four, eighty-five, when he made his debut, you know, where I lived in South Tamil Nadu, we didn't have the access to Doordarshan, uh, so I didn't watch those early Test matches. But very fortunately, we used to get Rupa Vahini where we lived. So when India wow. went to Sri Lanka in nineteen eighty-five, we didn't get Rupa Vahini, so we didn't get Doordarshan, but we used to get Rupa Vahini. So uh, we were one of the two homes in a in a in a village of two thousand homes to have a TV. So watch that. Uh, but he didn't make too many runs uh, salia hangama that uh, sri lankan quick with a little bit of a dodgy <laughs> action used to trouble him a lot right uh, and then you know we had this problem with a bit of percy abesekra there's the sri lankan fan so we got a, a lot in the report uh, from the hindu mohan and others about how azhar was a bit distracted and stuff a great guy who made his debut uh, but he didn't get too many runs in sri lanka which not many anyway did india lost the the test series anyway but then uh, my early memory I remember two unique partnerships he had with Sunil Gavaskar. Two one-day games. One was the Oval because by '86 we had access to Doordarshan because they they set up that uh, substation in Kodaikanal. They televised the two uh, Texaco Trophy one-day games at the Oval. Shrikant got it for duck, and Gavaskar and uh, Azhar got a 163 run partnership. I think the whole target was 163, and India got those runs. And I could see that Gavaskar was those. you organized structured player while well, azhar was the artist the first time you got to know and you could see the running between the wickets right azhar was like a like a gazelle he was really quick uh, before sachin tendulkar came so you could see that you know his athleticism as with sharda talked about as a fielder right you could see his running in the way and he was you know very fit and probably i didn't understand what fitness was but compared to gavaskar tall guy pretty uh, lithe and you know he was pretty uh, fit 
then i think the other thing what people don't realize he used to bowl a lot back then uh, i think 86 sharja in champions trophy against west indies i still remember watching the game it took a couple of wickets it took a couple of wickets and uh, i think west indies got 160 odd in 45 overs and i was thinking if azza gets a 50 plus or 60 plus he could help india to win the game and uh, he could get the man of the match because back then it was a big thing to get a man of the match who as a young boy who was hardly 9 or 10 you wanted to see who was getting the man of the match but then the west indies being west indies they were a great side again there was another gavaskar azar partnership in the game tony gray took some crucial wickets if i'm right he dismissed both azar and uh, and gavaskar and he did lost the game um but then um my next early memory was that famous or infamous test the 1987 india sri lanka test match green park kanpur that was sunil gavaskar's in-laws place it was last 100 bharat arun's famous or infamous debut right he had a fall and azhar got a 199 and you know a lot of times indian umpires get a lot of criticism for being biased but here's an umpire who was very happy to lift his finger at 199 when i thought azhar wasn't out at least from my memory right so and that was his highest score he never scored a double hundred right then the other interesting thing which was again somebody like me who had this you know access to sports star and infodes his first 300s in one day cricket were 108 the exact number so that famous uh, when sri lanka played in that series there was a 40 over reduced game at the 1k day the final game as a scored a, a flashy 108 uh, india got 299 but the game was remembered more for roshan mahanama who scored a brilliant 98 to ma- make a match of it back then you don't get 300 runs in 40 overs right so those are some of the early memories but i think the first time i really thought he was a serious player was when pakistan toured india right he first time he scored this batch of hundreds um the big hundred the eden gardens then uh, one they had a very big partnership with mai then hero ravishastri in jaipur when zeyao luck was there as well but then well then 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 azhar was supposed to but then gavaskar retired we expected azhar to step up and become that great player but dilip engsaka was still there or thereabouts I think then by then I started to read a little bit more the newspaper accidents access and sports star I think the real disappointment was the West Indies tour because Vengsaka said at the start of the tour that two batsmen have to score heavily so that our bowlers Kapil and spinners can come into play and Vengsaka being the world number one back then and had a big rivalry with Javed Mia and that uh, he said he expected to score heavily and he wanted Azhar to score well I think that's where for the first time we felt um and again we got highlights from the west indies tour the first time jimmy amanath used to be there uh, and tony lewis used to so we used to get highlights not live but as a dean scored too many and i think sadly or unfortunately dilip engsaka made a statement saying as a ran away from fast bowling now you don't want to get that sort of a, a comment from a captain and when you're the 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 prince in waiting to be coronated right so that was a bit of a shocker that the way azad played and the accusation that he ran away from fast bowling in at sabina park against it was a very good west indies attack a young bishop malcolm marshall and a very aggressive curtly ambrose and so forth and patterson right uh, patterson didn't play patterson didn't play oh. in that series patterson played in india in 87 88 but patterson didn't play in the caribbean in 89 of course he played uh, so back then there was one little uh, gap in his resume was he hadn't scored big runs or never 100 against the west indies then he went to pakistan uh, again as everyone knows he would have been dropped if not for raman lambas uh, unfortunate injury in the morning and then we all know that you know famous zahir abbas change in technique and he scored that 100 in faisalabad then azhar came out and said uh, people who call me 
who accused me of running away from fast bowling, Wazim Makram bowled as quick as anyone I saw in the Caribbean. So it was, I think, the first time I realized that Azhar took criticism to some extent because back then not many players would respond to criticism. But here, here was a man who was responding to the criticism from press or media. And again, it was no social media. Then one final thing, when he became the captain, we could talk about it later. That's where I realized his batting was different because till then the Azhar I knew was a stylish player, but he would get runs at a good pace. But then he became the captain, those 300s he scored, one at Eden Park, 190-odd, 92, then the brilliant Lords 100, 121, and then again at Old Trafford, 179. I think that's where the real, I shouldn't use the word tragedy, but I should. That was the best of us scoring those 20-odd boundaries, you know, 87-ball hundreds and stuff. Unfortunately, the Indian public didn't get to see those runs. Now, we're talking about his legacy, right? We got highlights from Eden Park, but when India went to England in 90, that was Sachin Tendulkar's first standard as well. That series was not televised. We didn't even get highlights because of a dispute between BBC and Doordarshan. So some of brilliant other runs, flashy. I mean, that's where, like, you know, they were they were writing, you know, prose about him. Ted Cobbard, uh, Robin Mahler, and others, Fred Christopher Martin Jenkins. The fans in India didn't get to see the best of Azhar when he was making those runs. I think in a way, it's a bit of a, a sad thing that the best of Azhar within what five, six years of his debut, when he was making those runs as a captain, we didn't get to see the best of him. Probably, I think that's one thing. I mean, in hindsight, had the Indian public saw a bit of that, they would have appreciated his beauty and artistry of his batting a little more when he was at his best. Anyway, I mean, we could go on and on, talk yeah. a little bit about his later batting, but I think that's what I just want to, my early first five, six years of, memory of Azhar as a batsman. Now, I remember the Vengsarkar quote in West Indies. Uh, I remember reading the Sports Star. He wasn't happy when Azhar used to hop right in the short ball, the ribcage. He used to jump and try to, you know, push those ball towards short leg. And Vengsarkar said he seemed like a cat on a hot uh, tin roof, you know, who was jumping for survival. And, you know, that that that, that comment, uh, if I remember, was very, very, very public. And a lot of people started describing Azhar hop like that. So Sharda, let me throw this to you. Before we actually talk about Mia Captain Banoge or accidental captain, what is your memory? How surprised were you when he got the captaincy? Because I was also in the Ravi Shastri camp. I loved Azhar, but I thought Shastri is the best captain we never had. But that time, you know, I didn't know much cricket. So were you surprised, like most of us, when um, Rikant, after drawing the series, uh, Azhar becomes yeah. the captain? The team of the 90s, uh, post the team of the 90s. No, yeah, of course we were surprised. Of course we were surprised. Uh, and uh, I'll just go back to what Vijay was saying about that Vengsaka statement. Uh, you must remember that in this time, there's no TV, so we are not be able to see. Um, and you, journalists and, and cricketers were very close. They would drink together, eat together, you know, have conversations. Um, they, journalists would feel free to pass on ideas to captains and what they thought they should do. And even maybe, uh, you know, create the story by themselves. It's not to say that Vengsaka didn't say it, but I'd, I'd be interested to find out how it got to that point. Uh, because either he was very angry, because Dilip Vengsaka, everyone knows him. He's a very plain speaking, cricket-wise, really sharp, and speaks very bluntly. But that he would say that to a journalist, I think, reflects on that time. You never have a captain saying this about his player in this day and age. I just wanted to sort of give context to everyone who's under a particular age who did not know what those crazy days were like. Um, 
everyone was surprised that Azhar was the captain because Azhar had a completely different image. He, he at that time he was a good boy in many ways. He was just like a regular guy, and uh, because he was not, I think this is a stream that runs through our entire captaincy. He was not a very uh, fluent and a confident English speaker. A complete uh, contrast to Ravi Shastri, who I also was a big fan of. Um, I'm in some ways of that of that Ravi Shastri. Um, uh, so that was a big sort of how is this how can this be kind of a thing that, that was the surprise. So there is this sort of snobbery that exists by, by people who are not able to speak good English or English of a particular quality or whatever. So that became a big, that became a big uh, talking point, not the English, but the fact that it was Azhar who was, he was not a leader in a way that you would say um, leaders had to be. I mean, Kapil had been captain and he was very much a, a small town boy and, and all the rest of it. And, and he made an ad about it and so on. But some of this came with Azharuddin's uh, background. Some of it came with, there was at no point, I have to say this here, and this shows you how much the world has changed, was anything said about the fact that Azhar was a Muslim because a Muslim had captained India before and a Christian had captained India before and it was no big deal. And uh, to be given that job, everyone was surprised because of his personality, not because of his, not because of his, uh, uh, who he was, his religion. Can you imagine India having a Muslim or a, a captain now? India had a Muslim captain, Christian captain, Sikh captain, Hindu captain. Big deal. Move on. You know, can you imagine that happening now? And so therefore, Saki, what you just said about how, how let down you felt and how betrayed you felt. You can understand and all the other things that were happening in old Delhi and all the other streams of reality that were going on. The normalcy of having Azhar be a Muslim captain for India. If you look back at it now, it just stuns you that even in an environment like that, it was it was. So you saw how cricket was removed in some ways from what was happening in Indian society or in Indian political life or completely removed. Anyhow, to go back to the answer. No, but I'll, I'll add something to it. I think you brought yeah. a good point because I missed out on my earlier response. And you're right. Cricket is a subset of society. It's not the other way around. Uh, yeah. But but when Azhar, you know, in 2000, when the allegation in CBI, uh, you know, framed him and they caught him, uh, actually. So he also played the religion card saying, I'm I'm from minority community. And, you know, it was like that, it was so bad. It was so bad. He shouldn't have done it that. You know, so, you, you know, yeah, yeah. You know, all, all his doings. You know, in a way, he has to own the responsibility. I have a famous Rohit Brijnath quote from Crick Info, which I'm going to plug in towards the end. And, you know, when we are concluding this podcast. But yeah, Azhar did no favors to himself when he brought religion yeah. to his rescue. That was just, yeah. there was, yeah. there's no need for that. Yeah. You know, he was, yeah. and, and, yeah. and, and, and any young fan, you both can vouch, right? Before the TV era ushered, Azhar and Tendulkar were synonymous. Right? Tendulkar, of course, was the big star the team is going to ride back, but he was Captain India. He was right neck to neck. Even though yeah. you know his batting was slightly different than Sachin, but they were the two superstars that ushered after the Pepsi age. I call it in 1990. You know, yeah. Leander Pays and uh, Vishwanathan Anand. I mean, he was right there in the mix. Maybe not when their careers are settled just for pure batting. He's not in the same class as Sachin. No one's deny. But that two three year period that Vijay said his batting and people like us who were following him in, on transistor commentary through All India Radio, sure. we knew what he was doing, what he was capable of. So I'm going to quote a line from Chakte India, Vijay. I'm going to stay in English. But when the hockey team is being introduced, when they introduce the captain, they said, Iske bhi kuch maane hai, meaning this also means something. So yeah, Sharda, now, you know, your role as someone who's covered cricket from so 
such a close quarters what does captain india mean to you and where does mohammad azuruddin fit in that uh, uh so cap the, the captain of the indian team is the number one usually the number one foremost personality sports personality in the country in, in that sense he is out there uh you know you have those the other joke about the times of india editor and whatever whatever we won't get into that but after the prime minister of india i would say the captain of the indian cricket team is probably the most famous the most the best known uh, it is also and i think people forget this and people it doesn't strike them and this is we are we are talking uh, pepsi era just slightly uh, azuruddin straddling both these eras it's also the job that gets you the most notice and it gets you the most uh, endorsements and sponsorships and whatever so commercially it's a very important post as well uh this is when we are not talking about the era before 1990s uh, so on but still the captain stands for so many things because at the time uh, our hockey team was kind of uh, fading and our cricket team was trying to catch up with won the world cup um you had this uh, you know cricket was becoming the number one sport of the country and the cricket captain became the most important person because he was there he's making all the decisions he's out there um and then he stands for so many things he stands for i always say this there was a poster i wish i'd kept it i may have it may turn up somewhere um the cricket team represented uh, the this is the 70s and the 80s right we have we are not we are not the country we, we are today we were a very very self effacing and a very restrained and a quiet uh, kind of a society whatever else was going on behind closed doors outside we were not um flashing wealth or throwing our weight around or being bullies or whatever we were just fairly well behaved um but we knew that there were sort of ructions and frictions and everything inside the country and the one thing that held india together was its cricket team so there's a there's a poster of azhar maninder singh rajabini and uh kapil dev and it says if we can play together we can stay together this is when there were communal riots happening in some parts of the country and it was put up uh, as like a, for a communal harmony so a kind of a poster it had a blue background and photos went black and white and there were these four guys pictures there and said if we can play together we can stay together that's what the cricket team represented and azhar was the captain of that team and now <clears throat> this is india just coming into liberalization and 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 at that time so you're juggling these two sort of indias as well so he was the captain in that in that kind of peculiar uh, kind of an age and another thing we must remind people is that the captaincy of the team changed with every series was announced with every series it's not like <clears throat> today you are captain till the world cup you are coach till the world cup no chance every series they would say soncho is going to be the captain soncho you know this is going to be the team so the captain's position was not as uh, cemented or as it was but if you won uh, you, uh, that's what that was the reward you stayed captain you didn't uh, if you lost you i mean and shrikant drew and and, and uh, uh, lost the captaincy in in uh, 80 90 so that's what being the captain meant and now that i'm thinking about it i'm saying azhar azhar being the captain in that time where india is going through this big economic change also then reflects itself in his career outside the game and what happened and 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 took us down the path that that we are that he went and took the game down the path that they went so he he was uh, many things remember also our television uh, was not as um, 
was not like it is today. If you would just switch on the match and the match would start at the particular time and the commentary would be there. So that whole building up of the captain, the captain, the captain, it wasn't that much. It was a much more understated uh, amongst the cricket community, the Indian captain had a certain standing and you reached out to him if you wanted to uh, hear his views on this, that and the other. But in terms of what he stood like outside, there wasn't this uh, sort of media buildup around it was not as much. Uh, The cricket captain could not compete with the number one Bollywood hero of that time, who I'm desperately trying to now think whether it was Bachchan or this is post-Bachchan. So he was not that big yet. But in terms of what his cricket was there and what what cricket fans thought uh, 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 cricket represented to the country, this is a country whose economy was not very strong. Uh, It was difficult to get a telephone. It was difficult to get gas. You know, all those, the old stories that people of a generation tell you. Um, The the, the cricket team represented something smoothly functioning. It was hoped, you know, basically. That's, That's what the thing was, the person at the head of it was the person that represented the good the good part of us. Like the, the cricket team represented the good part, like the army represented the good part of us. And that's what the cricket captain's sort of role was. And Absolutely. for other to be in that yeah. role, yeah. For, sorry, just for other to be in that role, um, <clears throat> it suited it because you said, okay, whatever it is tactically, um, he seems to be a good enough guy. He's not a he's not a bad guy. You rarely heard stories like you do in England or Australia, or whatever. What our cricketers drinking? You still don't hear that much now. So it was fine for him to for him to be captain. His his personality and whether he could uh, um, sort of exude a leadership or control that was what worried people when his name first came up and when he was chosen. Yeah, that transformation is something we'll get into. And that's uh, kind of the most bizarre transformation as uh, we approach, you know, you know, this podcast goes deeper. But you were right, you know, Indian captaincy is just like Indian prime ministership. Everyone has an opinion how to do this. So Vijay, let me just bring you here in, uh, because you've also, a, you're a big student of the game, like, you know, Sharda is, and you're a big Ian Chappell fan. And you have, you can speak at length about Imran Khan and Mark Taylor, all the modern captains from that time. So where does Azaruddin fit in in your landscape of captain? Are we underselling, you know, what he was about? Because he did say something at this level. I'm not going to tell you you what to do. All these cricketers are professional for a reason. You're not going to tell them each and every move. But you remember the exact quote. So how would you uh, sum up an Azaruddin? Because, you know, the same comment, if it was made by the great Imran, you know, books would be written on it. But since it was said by Azar, there was a lot of (laughs) scrutiny on it. So Vijay, floor is yours. So it's a great point. I think uh, Sharda has given a very good context about where an Indian captain uh, sits in the context of Indian political setup. And she's trying to equate to the Australian way of talking, right? Here also we say the Australian captain is the second most important job after the prime minister, right? Uh, so it's very similar, right? Because cricket is such a big thing and it's followed by millions and every move is scrutinized and everyone, every armchair critic is a captain in terms of field setting, um, and again, you know, the famous story, the 1987 World Cup semi-final at the Wankede, the people at the North Stand gang were advising Kapil to move the field in a certain way when Graham Gooch was sweeping Maninda Singh and Ravi Shastri. And they felt they could have captained the side better than what Kapil could have done on the field. So that's how fashion, fans are passionate and they're quite knowledgeable as well. So coming back to Azhar, in a way, I, I, I mean, a lot of people who have interacted with me on Twitter and you, Sakib, you know that I've got a huge amount of respect for the likes of Ian Chappell, Mark Taylor, 
and Imran Khan as three of the great captains I've followed. Um, Ian Chappell was before my time, of course, uh, but in terms of different types, right? You know, some some people lead from the front, some people are brilliant tactically, some people are better people managers. I think Azhar had one thing about Ian Chappell, which was you you get to a test match level. I don't have to tell you how to bat or how to bowl or how to you know play a cover drive. You should know how to sort it out yourself. But the difference between Ian Chappell and Azhar was Ian Chappell was a very very uh, approachable person uh, outside of cricket field. But again, it comes down to culture, right? You know, open a tab at the bar and have a drink with his mates was his style of bonding. And Azhar was a very different person. Azhar <clears throat> was a very shy introvert from Hyderabad. Uh, I don't. I think he was a teetotaler, unless someone corrects me. Um, and he was a very shy individual. Given that, um, was he the inspiring person in the background uh, at a at a dressing room speech, or when a player was going through a difficult phase? Was he the best guy uh, to to have a pep talk? I think that's where we need to look at it in a context, right? He had Bishan Bedi as his first manager uh, or coach, as he was called then, right? Uh, the team of the 90s. And Bishan was a very, very uh, extrovert kind of a person. And when Azhar won the toss and decided to insert England in uh, at the 1990 Lords, Bishan Singh Bedi was openly critical of it. So it's it's not very often your coach criticizes the captain's role. And England scored 653 for four declared uh, with Gooch scoring 333. Then Azhar had Abaz Ali Beg as his uh, coach or manager for the important tour of Australia in 91-92. Again, Abaz Ali Beg was another sort of a, what do we say, a person who's not in the limelight. So, see, one have to, I think we have to ask in hindsight, did Azhar have the right kind of a, a personality to compliment him as a coach? Because if Azhar is good on the field, but he's not a big speaker, he's not a guy who's going to motivate people off the field, probably you needed a manager at that kind of capacity. So, I think that's where we need to judge did Azhar have the right kind of a, like, like a Saro Ganguly and John Wright was a good combination, right? So, I think that's something I need to look at it. Now, I want to throw something else, right? Um, it's one thing to talk about captaincy. And I think to share this point, I, I've tweeted about this anecdote, right? Because we talk a lot about politics and cricket mixing and non-mixing. Uh, when Azhar went to South Africa, 92-93, right? After a disastrous 0-4 uh, uh, in Australia and the World Cup where India didn't make the semifinals, when December 6, 1992 happened, the, the, the Ayodhya Mosque <clears throat> was destroyed and there was riots in India. So India played the second one-day air was at uh, at Port Elizabeth, uh, St. George's Park. At the end of the game, I think it was the 9th of December, uh, three days after the, the mosque demolition. So there were riots and it was in the press everywhere. Uh, Gerald de Kock, the SABC anchor, who was doing the post-match presentation, I still remember he asked us something like, uh, with some trouble things, troubling things happening back home, how important is cricket and your performance for your country? And to me, it's a very tough question. It's almost like a prime ministerial question at a press conference. Here is a cricket captain who has lost a one-day game to a very good South African side. I thought Azhar did really well in terms of reply. He said, yeah, things haven't been great back home and cricket is very important for the unity. So a cricket captain, he was almost like an ambassador representing India in Port Elizabeth after a defeat and India was 0-2 down. And he was trying to bring a bit of unity uh, to there, uh, to that setup. I mean, to me, that was good leadership because not many captains would have answered it in that way. I mean, of course, we could always say he was a Muslim who was representing, but as Shardan, you were arguing, Azhar was never looked at as a Muslim. He was a, he was a captain, but of course, 
you could argue whether he got the captaincy by fortune or Rajshing Dungapu. That's a different debate. The other thing I would like to bring about is Dilip Vengsa had so much problem with writing for the press and BCCA almost had a, a problem. I think, I think one of the reasons why Dilip Vengsa was very grumpy in the Caribbean in 89 was he was not allowed to write columns while Vivian Richards was writing his columns and he was giving his point of view. But Azar, when he became the captain, at least after a couple of years, he was writing those regular columns in the Sports <laughs> Star, which is Hindu's uh, publication. So we got, to, we got to see the views of Azar as a captain. And to be honest with you, I've reread some of the pieces recently, thanks to Prabhanjit Badami, who's another Twitter user, a good friend of mine uh, from Bangalore. If you look at it, he has written some very hard-hitting pieces. He's talked about umpiring standards. He's talked about pitchers. He's talked about player fatigue and how playing for county cricket and not playing for county cricket, how a fast bowler can be there. And, and he's, he, he, he's, been, and he's been talking about playing in Sharjah, playing Pakistan in cricket. Um, and, you know, how security was good in Pakistan, Sharjah and how India and Pakistan play cricket will bring relationship together. So to me, we could criticize a lot about Azhar and how passive he was as a captain. He wasn't probably the best captain. But to me, for him, I'm, I'm sure it was ghostwritten, but to write columns on a regular basis, talking about things which are outside of uh, cricket and in terms of administration, how cricket has to be run. When Dilip Vengsak, his predecessor, had some trouble, that kind of tells you that he was a leader, a very underrated leader. I think as Shada rightly pointed out, his problem was he was not the most articulate speech speaker. He wasn't very fluent in English. And I mean, just 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 if uh, someone remembers, Tom Alter, who was a who was a great uh, you know Indian media personality and more than media, was a film personality. At the end of the tour in Australia, 91-92, because India played, what, uh, 11-odd one-day games and five test matches in the World Cup. So Tony Gregg used to be the post-match presenter. So Azhar used to say similar things. We played badly. We didn't get enough runs. Or we lost. We feel it badly. Or we were not up for it. So I think Tom Alter put a collage of all those videos and he he produced a program. So you could see 20-odd times (laughs) <laughs> Excuse me, other than coming and saying the same thing, it is such a such a monotonous thing. And that's Sharda's point. <laughs> Excuse me, he wasn't super articulate. So that was one of those defining things in terms of so one of the things I'd like to call out that the fact that he had fronted up some very difficult questions about a political right in the country to having the same monologues about cricket. <laughs> And that was, you know, played out as almost like a parody of him. So he was a complex person, but he was writing all those columns for Sports Star, telling administrators how mm. to run the game. Excuse me. So he was a he was a very interesting uh, personality, Sakim, in terms of uh, cricket captaincy. No, those are some brilliant points. Uh, this is like some food for thought for for Sharda. Yeah. Let me just jump in. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, uh, you know, so uh, Vijay has an incredible memory as. Is very evident. Mine is a little bit of a chani, uh, like a sieve. It just falls through. Something pops up. Something doesn't pop up. I have to say the thing about the columns in the Sports Star is that uh, I have ghosted a few cricketers' columns, and usually what happens after a match is that the journalist thinks up these things. Honestly, I'm not saying that cricketers don't think, but if you have to write a column. You have to actually give them like a framework to say, what do you have to say about this? Do you want to talk about this? So it's probably that he's been guided into producing this particular column. 
is I think I should just put it out there that there's a strong possibility R Mohan, who was Hindu's cricket correspondent at the time, will definitely have have, have stories to tell us. Um, and Azhar's, I think for Azhar, his thing was about uh, was not about articulation. I think he expressed himself this really ghastly expression that has now come up everywhere. I want to express myself. I, I, I we, were, we we tell them to express themselves. He actually expressed himself when he was playing cricket. You know, so there's this great book by Peter Robuck. And uh, Ian Botham and, and Peter Roebuck is trying to get Ian Botham to explain what happens when you do the fantastic things that you do. And Ian Botham says it sort of clicks. And that's the title of the book. It sort of clicks. So I think a lot of others cricket uh, was it sort of clicks kind of a cricket. It was instinctive. Uh, it was thought through. Obviously, it was uh, um, uh, calibrated and worked out in the way that that he trained, batted, how he dealt with various conditions, bowling, adaptability, the incredible innings that he played um, in New Zealand, um, you know, the, the Pakistan 100, you know, and, and it's a pity that we haven't seen it. There's such little footage of, of uh, even Tendulkar's uh, first 100. Um, and that uh, uh, the hundred in uh, Old Trafford, I think that Vijay also mentioned. So, um, so all that, but it was all towards the action and the doing, and that's the kind of cricketer that he was. Um, also, this is the age before um, media training, so you are not. There's no media training. This is the manager. Bishan Singh Bedi was the first sort of coach, coach person that had been sent, and immediately. There was a pro, you know, he and the captain were not on the same page. So, because Bishan Singh Bedi himself was such a great personality, he'd been a captain, a very different kind of a captain. Um, he'd been a, a sort of one of the pioneers of uh, the way India, uh, thanks to Patodi, uh, the, the way India played overseas, um, how they use spin. So, and Bedi was very, very well read, very extroverted. Um, and very articulate and he's got the captain on the other side. So you would have to say that, look, you need to be able to work out um, how to deal with someone who's not like you. You have to help the captain in that sense. So as, as if the coach is sniping, you're not really helping the captain. It's because I didn't agree. You know, everyone knows the story that Saurav and John Wright had massive arguments about many things. And Saurav Ganguly would ask many people what to do and then he would do exactly what he wanted. But he was the captain. That was his privilege. So um, there was, so Azhar was, was in this very, very strange situation that he was presented with these kind of multiple, uh, very strong personalities, very polished, uh, Abbas Alivek, very polished people. Um, but it was almost like he was, the only place where he could be himself was, was on the field and not off it because there is all this other stuff that's uh, that's going on. And to just bring back the Vengsarka story about uh, Vengsarka had a lot of battles with the board and he actually took the BCCI to court and won the case about playing those uh, matches in the US and so on. So can you imagine an Indian cricketer of six of them taking the BCCI to court today? No chance. Yeah. <laughs> so Shara, there's definitely a lot to unpack there, but I'm going to go back to our previous conversation when you and yeah. I talked about code dependency. So in your ascension to cricket writing and access to cricketers, yeah. how yeah. was Mohammad Azruddin code dependable for a press? Uh, Did his relationship change over the years or would he still no, he was the same. The press? He was, okay. he was, because I was a very young reporter at the time, he was very tolerant of my sort of absolute <laughs> ineptitude and, uh, you know, drawness. And uh, I was completely lost in what I was in. These are big stars. And I was working for midday. And midday just sent me out to this and say, okay, go cover cricket. You know, that kind of a thing. And uh, he was a star. But, he, but you never got a good quote out of him. To be very honest, you never got a great quote out of him. 
honestly you got uh, responses uh, you were uh, listened to your questions were answered he wasn't going to uh, write a killer headline for you you know he ravi shastri was that ravi shastri was a writer of headlines uh, instinctive every every uh, headline a minute so he wasn't that kind of a person but he would but he was accessible you could call you could have a conversation what is this about why did this happen whatever whatever and you got an explanation and very very civil very polite and that didn't change until 2000 um when I mean, I didn't cover a lot of international cricket in the nineties because I was at the Hindu from ninety three to two thousand, and I did a lot of domestic cricket when uh, Saurav and Dravid and all these other guys were playing, uh, the Jew Lakshman and all they were just coming up. Um, so I was not, I was off that circuit per se. But if I had to go and cover a test match, and uh, you know, I, it wasn't me that was speaking to the captain; it was the senior uh, reporters. But he had always stayed. a uh, civil he had always and the literally the first story i had to do when i joined india today in 2000 was to go to uh, south africa and see the hansi cronier's um, king commission hearings and then azar by that time was not going to answer my phone of course so uh, but but that didn't change in a way there are people who know him very well knew him very well vijayopalli at the hindu for example they traveled a lot um mohan uh, so they were probably know him better i just knew him from the outside i know the outside he was always <clears throat> very very civil very responsive very accessible uh, he invited me to his home once in hyderabad um and his second child had been born so i saw the little toddler you know crawling around um he was his first wife at the time so can you imagine i'm a young reporter i'm like in my early 20s and the captain of india said you are you are in hyderabad you want to do interview chalo you come to my house this is the time this is the address and i went and Does he gave happened today <laughs> no chance no chance no chance at in hell you know so you remember those things and then you saw this other person in the 90s in the mid 90s when he started becoming this armani wearing dude and it didn't seem like the same person you know so it's yeah that's why i said i would like to talk to him and say tell me tell me everything and i won't judge you anymore <laughs> i don't judge him now who are we yeah so saki if i may ask sharda question hopefully my throat is better now i was had a bit of a bad cough apologies so sharda you brought out a very interesting point as right said r mohan and vijay lokapalli i've read a lot uh, from the hindu and sports star yes but there was always a feeling in the 80s because there was no tv right Yeah. So if a Ranji Ranji game was happening in Tamil Nadu, if a player was playing well, or Tamil Nadu versus Hyderabad, a yeah. selector or a former player or a captain from Delhi would ring up R Mohan and say, "Hey, are you covering the game at Chepok? Can you yeah. let me know what the player is all about?" Because that was the access. Because there was no coverage of Ranji cricket, and the yes. journalists who were covering used to get these things. The yes. reason I'm asking is there were allegedly whether it's R Mohan or Suresh, uh, not Suresh. men and rajan bala and other players right yeah. Yeah. they had a bit of an influence in captains and talking about oh, what's the 15 what's a 6 and all oh yeah <laughs> was it fair to, yeah sorry was it fair to say <laughs> azhar was the first one who stopped the influence of media directing a team 11 or a 15 because um, oh, is that a fair to say or even in this era really, tenure is continued I really won't know. Honestly, I really won't know. I definitely knew that in Shrikant's time it was very much there, but with Azhar, I really won't know whether that was all because I was very, very junior. Ayaz would be an interesting person to have this conversation with Sake because he will tell you, Mohan will tell you. So I really wouldn't know whether that whether that was a change that came about. I mean, it's an interesting thing we should check. 
But because the cricket writers of the time uh, were quite influential in their own way, they were seniors uh, uh, to me. Um, yeah, I had heard these stories. I, I had heard, but I didn't know whether it had happened. Harsha would be a great guy to ask, actually, because Harsha wrote the book about Azad just before this uh, right. fixing scandal, and, and he knew him well, and there was a real warmth in their uh, equation and everything. So maybe Harsha will have a better answer to the question than I do. I really didn't know if that if that had happened. if it did, full marks. Yeah. You know. So one, one point on that Harsha's book, I think one thing I vividly remember, which has been uh, repeatedly quoted is, uh, Azhar was a very generous man. Uh, it's something that people don't talk about because even when you go to a, an exhibition game or a, a, um, a, a, a game to uh, collect some funds for former Ranji players, he would always drop a five-digit or a six-digit personal check along with whatever that's been collected. So that's that was always a feature of his generosity that a lot of former yes. players have talked about. Yes, he would. He would come back from tours, and he would uh, anywhere he went. He would come back and open his kit bag in Hyderabad and say, "Take whatever you want for my kit bag," you know. And anyone wanted anything, he would. He he would do that. He was just. It was like second nature to him to give. So take. That's why when this whole match match fixing thing came up, the cricketers in Hyderabad could not believe it, and he was so he was so loved because of the fact that he was. He was accessible to everybody. He was just a regular guy. He was just like he was when he used to play for his, for for uh, you know the club, and he was just like that. And he treated everybody, the young Azuruddin, the one that I remember, the uh, the ninety uh, pre ninety three because I didn't travel that much, um, was like just normal with everyone, you know, comfortable in his own skin, who he was, where he was from, and he became so. And he seemed like this whole that Hyderabad lineage that you have of Jaisima and you know, and they carried on to uh, Lakshman. And um, so he he belonged to that culture of just graciousness and uh, a particular old-fashioned kind of courtesy and all that. And then he became this movie star. It's like crazy. That's what I'm saying. The first thing that comes is like, yeah. I don't think the, the first word, Chakib, I can re, uh, I'll re-answer your first question. What are the first words that come to mind? Or as I say, tra- tragic, I'll say, no, confusion. For me, now it's confusion. <laughs> yeah, then, yeah. Yeah, confusion and complex. So let me throw this back to you, Vijay, you know, about the generosity. You know, you and I were talking about this. How would this be seen today if, uh, uh, you know, people are being generous with each other? India has changed. Uh, there's a lot of examples where uh, superstars show their generosity. So are we shortchanging Azhar's memory from back in the day, flexing his Rolex and driving the fancy cars? Or is that part of a different package? Really great question. So yeah, it's a terrific question, Saki. But I think we have to put things into context, right? Back in India in the 80s, right? I'll give an example. If, if Indians were used to go to a lot of pilgrimages and places, but there was always a belief that you go to a pilgrimage or a temple or a darga, you can't live in a luxury. So there were never luxury hotels in a Tirupati or a Shirdi or an Ajmer. Uh, in other places, there used to be luxury hotels, but the, always the belief is you go and see your gods and spiritual places. You have to have an austere living. That was the mindset of India in the 80s and 90s, which Shahada talked about. There's always a shortage economy. Stand in line for phones or a car, book it for three months and stuff. So making wealth was always a problematic thing, or at least people didn't say much in big cities, but flaunting wealth was never accepted. Vinod Kambli faced it first because having those big gold chains and trying to live a party life, he was not seen as, because Sachin Tendulkar was your typical middle-class Maharashtrian, like 
every boy had to be and vinod kamli stood out and asar right same thing right he came from the typical middle class hyderabadi background bicycling his way to a, a nets and coming back and suddenly even r mohan the venerable r mohan wrote saying asar was wearing a 50000 rupee suit which is giorgio armani which is 1000 pounds i would say rolex watches so suddenly even the mainstream media even the hindu they started to write about his lifestyle which was an anathema back then in the 90s as sharda talked about the economy was just growing it was just opened up and still india was india didn't have a, a, the clout of the middle class to eat out and spend at the malls and retails and stuff foreign holidays were very few and far between now if we juxtapose that to the current thing kl rahul recently got married and every colleague of his was able to say you know they were gifting him something worth 2 crores which is close to what a crore would be 5 million dollars in australian currency what of the equivalent right uh, uh, in in foreign currency so the current indian cricketers are able to say they are gifting a colleague of them in millions of dollars or the equivalent indian rupees as a motorbike or as a house or whatever whatever right now no one bats an eyelid because this is an area of social age of social media and the people have accepted that there are very very wealthy people in a country like india despite having inequalities that was not the norm in the 1990s george <laughs> uh, armani was seen as a luxury now maybe i, I can pick uh, probably the worst ipl player could be having few armani suits so india as a country has become wealthier i think the indian mindset has changed which means azhar has flaunted his wealth at probably the inappropriate time in india was was not moving from i think some people call it bharat in india i mean for a different context right india was still a bit of a bharat in terms of its cultural i would say conservatism now you could flaunt your wealth in mumbai and you could do whatever you want i think in that way uh, azhar fell at the wrong time of course but we we can't justify that to say that match fixing right we are not saying that but i think and also i think his lifestyle right being um, I mean, having a live-in relationship was was a taboo back then in India, right? Now I'm hearing more and more people in Bangalore, Mumbai, not not a lot in Chennai, Delhi, and other places. Live-in relationship is accepted. So to have a divorced man with two kids, to be having a relationship with a with a Sangeeta Bijlal, I don't know a lot about her. She must be a very popular movie star from the Hindi movie world of Bollywood. So that was again a big thing. A shy, quiet South Indian person. having this lifestyle and that again uh, a lot of tongues were wagging right so right now uh, social media is full of i mean every indian cricketer is with a model or a superstar i mean supermodel or a movie star and that's a very normal thing the society is accepted like how the tennis players used to be in the 80s and 90s in the west indian cricketers can be with supermodels but back then it was a very unusual thing of course you could say sharmila tagore was different but tiger patodi is from the royal family right otherwise the middle class mindset was that of austerity and being more conservative in their cultural approach i think in that way i would say azhar kind of fitted in at at a, at a slightly inappropriate time for the indian society i think that's where the judgment was a little more on him on his lifestyle and lifestyle choices outside of cricket i would say that's a great segue and i would want sharda to come into because i remember the conservative muslim world you know Uh, I don't yeah. consider myself conservative. Uh, you know, the other came under heavy scrutiny one for divorcing and then dating a film star uh, slash model. So Sharda, I think right now, like we just said, cricketers are socialites, and uh, even back in the day, it's not to say Gavaskar and Kapil Dev and Ravi Shastri were not uh, socialites in their own right, but 
usually the hearsay is Zina Taman or Simi Greval, they befriended Imran Khan. He was like the yeah. odd superstar of that era. But during I mean, Azhar's rise, right? I think that's when cricketers and socialites started mixing. I think that's no, the period. I mean, Cricketers and socialites did mix, uh, but you didn't have page three to talk about it. It was talked about maybe in the in the film magazines a little bit, where the film if it's a film stars involved. So uh, the, the cricketers and 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 movie stars and socialites have always mingled because of uh, you know uh, celebrity. Everyone loves celebrity, um, and cricketers were celebrity. I mean, um, Ravi Shastri. There were like lots of stories. <laughs> Remember lots of stories about Ravi Shastri's wild ways. Um, he was seen as the most eligible bachelor in India, and uh, all the rest of it. Uh, Azhar's, I think, because like we just said very correctly, is his um, flaunting affluence is is what really freaked people out. And I remember, and at one point, I remember Mohan wrote this article in uh, I don't know the sports stuff was like Hindu, and I remember reading it and saying, "What?" Because something he was talking about, and Azhar and Mohan are really close. So he he was talking about something about how Azhar has had, and he used the word epiphany that he's had an epiphany, means he's fallen in love or whatever it was. And I could not, and this has come in either the Hindu or the sports star. Okay, so the the what has shaken? So, so, uh, so he's in love with the uh, good fine, you know. So, but to see that in a cricket article explaining to you why the captain, it's almost like I mean I could be completely wrong, but I still remember the word epiphany, and I had to go and look in a dictionary and said what does it actually mean? Maybe he said it in the thing, and I didn't. You know, he explained epiphany in Greek was whatever, whatever, something other. But I remember there was the word epiphany. Uh, he has seen the light. So I think maybe it was to explain or try and uh, the, the captain's uh, uh, choices and uh, his decisions in his life. So maybe it was that um, because the Azuruddin of that that person. Was very different from the Azuruddin that I had interacted with as a as a as a junior reporter, you know, who said, "Come to my house and uh, uh, have tea, and I will give you interview." So that was the strange sort of thing that was happening. It wasn't the first time, and it wasn't going to be the last time at all. Um, I was thinking, what would Azuruddin as a cap uh, Azuruddin the figure today? How would he have dealt with this whole thing in social media? Uh, it's almost like once the match fixing scandal broke, it was almost like a social media, tele- and television, mind you, private television channels were not around then at that time. Can you imagine the idea of paparazzi was not around there at the time? Uh, still, everybody knew about Sagita and Azar. And I remember meeting him somewhere. And he introduced me and said, this is, this is a reporter. And she, she was very, very civil and polite. And it was like, you know, women also reporters. So, so um, it was a very strange time. I don't think when they traveled overseas, it was a big deal at all. Um, but in India, it was, a, it was a very strange shift that came about. And because it was visible, it's not like, you know, Sangeeta Bishani was invisible. I think she was a, she was former Miss India. She'd taken part in a, in a beauty pageant. And um, she wasn't, she was a very well-known figure. Um, and uh, it was just, it just shook everybody's idea of what Azaruddin, about Azaruddin. That is what it did. It just shook our whole idea of who he was. He wasn't like this. He would actually, at one point, Rohit Brindnath will tell this story. At one point, he came to a press conference and he was cutting his toenails. Yeah, I read that article. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And you are saying, 
and Azhar was never like this. <laughs> Everyone is blaming Bollywood and whatever, but he is making the choices, right? So, so, but don't blame Bollywood. So, yeah, I think. Uh, it's, yeah. it's funny, like, do we even call this coming of age? Because usually coming of age means someone really matured, right? And this is a story which gets more complex, right? You said the yeah. word confusion, because we yeah. understood the man at this point. And then, of course, personal choices can't be he condemned. You, know, you can be with anyone. Yeah. But overall, yeah. uh, we should segue this now. And I think the floor is open. His <laughs> equation with Tendulkar, his equation with Shastri, his fallout with Siddhu. So whatever's in public domain, I mean, uh, we need to uh, talk that- about that. Yeah, I feel that, you know, there were, then they began to be some kind of envy about this life that he was living. Because he was not the kind of person who was supposed to be living this life. And again, remember, these are all Indians from that age of austerity, as Vijay described it, uh, of standing in line for four hours to book a railway ticket. I had to get that one out. That was me when I was in college. So, um, so it's almost like there is this, this guy has changed very obviously. He's wearing incredible clothes. Otherwise, he's just a regular guy from Hyderabad. He's wearing incredible clothes. He just looks much smarter. And it's not just your normal. It's not Raymond's. It is Armani. It's gone another level. So I think a lot of the... the I'm sure there is some testosterone contest also going on in the dressing room about these things. And I'm saying this from the point of view being female. Is that there has to be this. There'll be a, some kind of that. Who are you to dress like this kind of a thing that's there. That kind of edginess that comes in. Now, when you're looking at. Um, because when you see the tapes. When you see the Telka tapes. Then you hear that his name keeps popping up. Uh, because of whatever. You know, the the, the reason. that, and, and most of it was, you know, he got this much for money. For the Indian cricketer to earn that scale of money. Uh, it, it had not yet happened. They were earning decent enough money as compared to the average, uh, what was the average Indian per capita income, but it wasn't this luxury level of money. That had not come in. That came in once because TV rights had not, you know, people are not really understood or explored what television rights actually stood for in India. The, the, there was no television itself had just become, had gone um, open skies policy and we had cable television at home. And it, had, it was all just beginning. So the acquisition of that wealth that now you now see with players, it had not happened. It was just growing slowly, but slowly. But here was this guy who had done this whole uh, thing and who had completely turned his his life around and he was getting these watches and jackets. And, and you could see that it did that to Hansi Cronier as well. That this that these guys who are hanging around cricket, when you're looking at it as a it's almost like a crime story that these guys are hanging around cricket with loose cash to give and then with gifts to give, not even cash. And then they become these things that you can see you're wearing a Rolex watch or you're wearing whatever. So I'm sure there must have been some ego stuff also going on there. And this guy's only adding to what everyone believes. Um, you know, he can't be getting, follow the money. He can't be getting it from the from the right place. Where is he getting all this money from? And that also came in and that kind of resentment and anger and so on. Now, uh, I don't know what happened when, say, someone suspected that something fishy was going on. How did they respond to it? Because I can tell you that access to the Indian team at the time was the easiest thing. There were guys and only men. You could walk into an Indian dressing room at any point till, say, 2000. Anybody could walk in. Because there was no, there were no gatekeepers, there were no rules, there was no anti-corruption, there was nothing. Uh, in Sharjah, the press box was separated from the players' viewing gallery by one railing. That's it. So in a lot of ways, these really? dealings are like before Azhar and after Azhar. It's a different world. 
Yeah, really. You could like literally. I've got photographs from Sharjah, which you can see all the players sitting there. Who's saying what? Who's talking? You can overhear if you're sitting close enough. You know. Yeah, so, I had a podcast with Lokapalli and uh, Sidvi, and yeah. Vijay Vijay sir was telling Sidvi uh, yeah. how the access was amazing. Yeah, and now you can't even think of those kind of that kind of a parallel reality access, to exist. You know? Yeah, no, that's different access. This is actual physical access to anything and anybody at a scale that is a bit almost. Now you look at it and say it's dangerous. I mean, access to be able to call a pick up a phone and and call a player that's diff, that is a different access. This kind of access is when you look at it now, it's damn scary. And when you've got this other stuff that's going around about uh, and. You know, we were such idiots. We didn't even know what the betting industry was about. At least I didn't know uh, how it functioned, what it did. Satta, you knew of Satta, but yeah. you didn't know that there's all this other stuff that was going on with uh, with, with cricket. And sure, then, we, we coming, so, sorry, 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 Sharda, uh, I could be wrong uh, because mm-hmm. you, I think you were the one who wrote a piece. You covered the 2002 Champions Trophy in Colombo in Sri Lanka, correct? Yes, 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 yes. I remember you wrote a piece. I could be wrong. I need to, I'm really, really coming from a memory. I think uh, they had this anti-corruption unit. Yes, uh, for the first the time. Guy. Yeah, Paul Condon, his name? Lord yes. Paul Condon. I think. Lord Condon was the English guy. Yeah, he was English in charge guy. of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. If I'm right, you wrote a piece saying yeah. how he was there, and for the first time, both the dressing yes. rooms they had some, uh, yes. you know, do's and don'ts put out. Yes, and yes. even in the hotel Taj Samudra, they were yeah. clearly told, you know, you can't talk yeah. to strangers, you can't do this. Um, yeah. So the first time players were educated about how they have yeah. to behave, and I think if yeah. I'm right, even some mug shots of uh, some oh. do's and don'ts. So it, it, it was, it was, oh. it was, a, it was an education process for the cricketers in a yeah. an ICC Champions Trophy in Colombo. I think you wrote yeah. the piece. I could be wrong yes. on this. You're right. You're right. You have an incredible memory. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yes, I think so, that was a good eye opener. Sorry, I mean that was a good eye opener, Shakib, for me because uh, as Sharda talked about, till then we didn't get to see. For me, the first time I heard or I learned about match fixing was. 1994 Singer World Series, uh, India, Pakistan, Australia, and Sri Lanka uh, played a series. Uh, R. Mohan for the first time, that infamous game between Pakistan and Australia. Australia got out of 180 odd, and Saeed Anwar was batting brilliantly. Then he retired hurt, and uh, Shane Warne triggered a collapse. Inzamama got stumped, and so Pakistan lost a close game. So R. Mohan wrote in that match report from Colombo that um, uh, the bookies were openly. Uh, debating and deliberating who was going to win. For the first time in 95, I was about 16 or 17, to know that there was something that was being better on cricket was a big eye-opener. But then mm. six years later, when this happened, mm. and then Chada wrote that piece in 2002 in Champions Trophy that now by then, uh, we knew what match fixing, fixing was. King's Commission in South Africa, Kayum Report in Pakistan, sorry, here in India, Madhavan Report, and then Chandrachud and whatnot, right? For all of that, and then as it was suspended, and then 2002, uh, the world had come together with Paul Condon, Lord Paul Condon, I should say, and others uh, trying to educate people, a place about the do's and don'ts. So suddenly, the same place where Mark Waugh and Shane Waugh thought eight years ago that uh, giving some weather report to uh, some John for $5,000 was a big no-no. So yeah, I think the world had come a full circle in the match-fixing saga in eight years between 94 and 2002. And the the whole, uh, you know, the one interesting thing that happened is that the press box moved right across from the dressing room. They physically moved the press box, media box, opposite to where the dressing room was. So because at that point, it was the telephones that came into the reporter's uh, sort of uh, uh, area. 
that you could give, get whatever, pass on information. They actually, now I'm thinking about the physically moved us away from there. You know, and they said that that's where you go and sit, you sneaky people. So, so um, when you heard about matches being fixed and 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 sort of thing, you never really got a sense. Again, I'm covering domestic cricket at this time, right? This whole big patch of time. Um, all these conversations are happening, and you're just getting sort of smattering kind of information coming through. Um, and you're hearing bookies, and you're hearing fixing, and you're hearing. And you're thinking, and someone told me a crazy story. This was in the 96 World Cup. You remember we drew the first match, I think, uh, with Australia? Was it with Australia? We drew the game. Azar picked up a great catch in, in, in slips. Uh, Vijay, uh, Yeah, the 91-92. It was a tied game against 90, West Indies. Tied, tied game so, at, the, at the WACA, yeah. yes. Yeah, against West Indies, yeah. correct. correct. Yeah. Tendulkar's bowling, right? Correct. Yeah. And he picked up a great catch at slips. And it, it was a tight game. Correct. See, I've got the year and I've got, I've got the country wrong. Super. So, um, and somebody said later, many years later, said Azar was so good at fielding that he knew exactly when to take a catch or drop a catch. You know, he, he knew how, how to make it look difficult to take. And I'm thinking that's such a sneaky way to think of what this guy was blessed with. You know, he, he had this gift and he worked on it. And he said he, he was so good it's not fair for me to say this, that he, he knew when he would hit the stump and, and, and when he would miss it by like half an inch. And I thought that was so mean, you know, when, when everything came out. Uh, but now what do you know? You know, there's this world that exists and, and, and it's there. And I mean, with, with the, the T20 leagues that are there in multiple profusion, you don't know how many spot fixing things. There's just more matches that ind- individually don't mean anything much. And it's not about losing and winning anymore. So the whole, that problem hasn't gone away. I don't think people think that the problem has has gone away because of anti-corruption. You're just giving them more opportunities too. But this is a different topic. But anyhow. So, yeah. sorry, uh, Shada, that's an excellent, sorry, Shada, that's an excellent point because... This man, Azaruddin, was so blessed, right? As you said, he could take a... I mean, he was so naturally gifted for fielding, batting and everything. Right? The same thing about batting, right? The same ball, he could hit it uh, past uh, point yeah. and he could, the same yeah. ball could go past square leg, right? That's where yeah. the revolving yeah. door thing came about. So yeah. when he was so naturally gifted, he could play two yeah. shots yeah. Uh, and you could take catches uh, uh, very naturally... Yes. And for someone to say that, it's a kind of a backhanded compliment. And as you said, uh, he could drop it yeah. without anyone realizing that was a technical yeah. fault. Yeah. I think it, it again adds to the tinge of sadness about such a great natural talent. And why did yeah. he end up where he ended up? Like, I mean, that, that increases the agony for the fans in a way. Correct. Correct. I'll tell you a great line, which I repeat everywhere. So excuse me if I've said it before and you, or you've heard it before. Is that at the Hansi Kronia Kings Commission, the one thing that I remember Hansi Kronia saying so clearly is, I cannot tell you the shame I feel and the unfortunate love I have for money. And it's as, it's, it's, I think it's, I've heard it again and I've tried to rework it a little, but this is what I remember him saying. So it is actually love for money. That's all that it is. Love for money and stuff. It's so simple. But look what it does, you know. You're talking about it like 20 years later, 23 years later, and you're crying. You're feeling angry. Sure, yeah. No, I think the reason is I was telling Vijay when we decided to do this podcast, such a delicate topic. I'm saying delicate second time because, you know, yeah. Azar, as, there's, there's not much that has come from Azar's side. He made one of the most horrible films ever that Oof. have come, you know, and it's better to not tell a story. And, and I, I, I'm not sure it's a complex thing. And it's easy for me to say on a podcast that he should come out clean, you know, look, redemption and this yeah. kind of process are very yeah. personal. 
you know he's yeah. gone through a lot of you know he's also lost a child so there's i mean his life and and in public shaming like how the word fixer is attached to him every time he drops a line on twitter because that's all whatever's coming his way is is his doing he's responsible but redemption is something we can talk later so the other thing is with uh, using azhar as a use case when you look at virat kohli or even sachin tendulkar the two modern superstars mm. uh, so i'll throw this to you sharda how is the role of pr machinery you know we all know shahrukh khan is the greatest pr he's a charismatic guy he speaks well but no one can tell me that his pr is not as good as you know some of the hollywood or some of the international sports people his pr is top notch so yeah. how has pr role changed in sports because looks like during azhar's time and even his movie no he desires yeah. you know there is no pr you're right so talk and about pr like, or it is absolutely kachra pr you know it's like if you wanted to make a movie come to one of the reporters and say i will tell you what happened and let us figure out a way to disguise this and you would have helped them i have to say this is how this is how ridiculous things are but um in a sense i i'm just thinking about it now that suppose he said this is what exactly happened then you would be the lawyer right then you would be the lawyer and you say this is how i present the story don't be this nonsense absolute dabba version of the movie that you made it's like please stop it you're insulting everybody you're insulting your own talent and your career and your life in cricket in that sense and all your teammates and everything pr is so big now that first of all you can't reach the player right so he's anyway he shut off you don't know what his uh, uh, flaws may be or not be uh, and anyway the the description of flaws has just yeah so pr now is a way that anyone can do anything and and we've seen that in america it happens a lot anything that happens people comes out and says i'm sorry and cries so tiger woods is a prime example then of course lance armstrong lance armstrong's career is like the biggest created uh sort of uh, bubble that then finally found itself out because the journalist went and did the story but as someone always says look at least these guys who take dope powder they're trying to win they're not trying to lose you know so you understand that as well i think in the in an age of pr at the time and slightly better uh, uh, television when the match fixing scandal broke was also very nascent it's just starting out news television was just reaching a slight level of uh, you know they had not reached a hysterical level yet they were on their way uh so you had all that you didn't have people who spoke for azhar you didn't have people who were able to sort of smoothly protect him i think ajay jadeja was very well protected um if you read the cbi report which says something and and he he got out he got his ban lifted pretty quickly um i remember the time that i was working for india today and and he still not talked about much as to what his role was uh, maybe because azhar was the captain that's why uh, that's why it became uh, it was a bigger story and he, it's like azhar could not defend himself on t- he could not perform on television he wasn't that kind of a person he was not a, uh, for him to be able to get sympathy or whatever it was and he kept quiet for a long time and then uh, it was too late you know it had it had it had gone we all heard uh, we can't say this on 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 the podcast uh, we've all heard of back stories and everything around how the how the results eventually panned out and what happened and so on but azhar in 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 many ways when you look at it again he's the only guy who's just like standing there around saying what the hell how did i get into this how could i be so stupid you know so um, you will have you will have Uh, pr and and basically the distance you keep from reporters or the distance you keep from journalists has become the 
uh, it's almost like become the the it's your first line of defense that I'm not even going to let you into my world in any way, and that's where uh, you know you're out there and it's and it's. Uh, and then you have this PR industry that works out everything else. They figure out where to where to position you in which publication on the cover of some of the fancy fashion magazines or business magazines or whatever it is, and do programs and do a sympathetic television interview with you. You know, I know that the couch uh, with uh, Coel was there, in which he didn't say anything that he hadn't said before. Uh, you know, so it's. Uh, it's quite it's it, the the PR industry, the media management industry, has has almost taken some truths away from us. I think it, it's hard to hard to reach them sometimes. Absolutely, and I'm sure Vijay is eager to go. So let me pose a question for you, Vijay, on what Sharda said about Lance Armstrong as well. Uh, in this day and age, uh, you know, this kind of thing cannot happen, right? Because there's a strong strong PR, but uh, there is a counterfactual comparison that I cannot omit. You know, our, our you know uh, beloved all rounder Vasim Akram. You know, there's a great book that came yeah. out. You know, on mm-hmm. Gideon Hay, but there is also his name on Kayum Report and a lot of Pakistani fans, even on Twitter or even barstool conversations. Uh, there's a big sentiment that you know uh, I have come across. I'm sure you might have come across to both of you that he is the one who got away. So life, you know, through the prison of Muhammad Azruddin, you know, a big captain in India. Uh, a big superstar after Tendulkar in the most of the 90s. And look, the aftermath of the decision, you know, he was caught by CBI and match fixing will never leave his legacy as far as I can see. It'll always be an anecdote or it'll always be a big subset of who he is. And that's unfortunate, but it's all others doing. Similarly, Vaseem Akram, just because, you know, he wasn't pronounced guilty and Justice Kayum felt a leniency towards him, now he has... So some of the most cerebral writers like Gideon Hay writing books about him. So it's a very fine line of walking free from something. And of course, we'll never prove anything, but this is a counterfactual that I cannot omit. So Vijay, your thoughts on the Akram comparison? And I'm sure there are other names that you want to throw in this from like world of football or racing or whatever you follow. So floor is yours once again. It's a, it's a tricky question because India and Pakistan are in many ways similar countries, but very dissimilar in terms of the way they looked at things, especially in different eras, right? Uh, If you look at the 1990s, Pakistan had a very strong team. And uh, I think there was more talk about match fixing in their culture much before in India, the whispers, right? Whenever Pakistan team used to win, it was great. It was almost taken for granted that because they had a great team. But whenever they lost, it was never looked at as a loss. It was almost somebody's fixed it. So, it was almost this, I don't know how to put it, the Pakistani mindset to see a conspiracy back then um, was more prevalent in their society. Anytime Pakistan loses, oh, somebody has fixed it. Um, see, Wazim Akram missed the 1996 quarterfinal against uh, India in Bangalore. Even back then, the chat was, you know, he's getting paid by bookies to miss the game. But medically, you go by the evidence, their uh, medical expert has clearly called out the fact that uh, he had an injury, he couldn't have played. Now, you know, sometimes facts can be an inconvenient thing uh, for the narrative to set place, uh, set, take place. So, so that is the context from the way Pakistan is looked at. And I think the other thing is people's memories are pretty short. I think uh, Sharda talked very well about a PR machinery and how you could uh, resurrect your image in front of TV camera and stuff. The other important difference is See, 2000 was the seminal 
watershed, whatever the words you want to use, moment in the match fixing, because the Central Bureau of Investigation, the Indian FBI equivalent, came up and Delhi, or, or Delhi police and oh, so Delhi police first came up and said we've got some evidence to prove that Hansi Kronier was this, and then CBI was involved and King's Commission in in South Africa and Pakistan, uh, Kayum and Madhav and other things. When it happened, names were thrown around, right? And as you rightly pointed out, CBI. Uh, convicted Azhar, or at least his alleged crimes, he, he confessed to some of those crimes. But in Pakistan, as you rightly said, Kayum uh, was sympathetic towards, towards Wazi Makram and his crimes. But more importantly, I still remember the 2000 Champions Trophy in October, right, in, in Kenya, uh, in Nairobi, where for the first time, we got to see the Indian players in action, new team, new captain, new set of players, new set of players in action back then uh, when we saw the Yuvraj and Zaheer Khan and new set of players coming, suddenly we were able to erase, because a lot of people said, uh, hmm. we're not going to watch cricket again. We're not going to watch cricket again. This is, we have lost the trust. These players have let us down. We don't want to do anything with cricket. I saw the raw emotion on the streets and unis and workplaces and stuff back in 2000. But this Champions Trophy was will help because Ganguly played a brilliant inning, Sachin Tendulkar took on, Glenn McGrath, Yuvraj and Zaheer, Yoker and stuff. See, these memories helped us to erase some of the things. So in a way, Indian cricket took a different turn with Sarah Ganguly being at the helm, which meant Indian cricket fans were able to move on from that Ajay, Mohammed mm-hmm. uh, uh, Azuruddin saga. But the problem was, Azhar could never play another game mm-hmm. he couldn't get a single boundary. On the other hand, Wazim Akram played for three more years. He he played in the 2003 World Cup. He went to England in 2001. He played against, uh, you know, other sides in 2002 as well. So for three years, Wazim Akram was able to come and bowl those Yorkers, get the ball to swing. So memory, people's memory is a short and sometimes they have a short attention span. Imagine in a, in a what-if world or a sliding doors moment, if Azhar had played, say, three test matches in five mm-hmm. one days after the matching, match-fixing saga, doesn't matter how much you want to dislike the guy, Imagine he had played at the Eden Gardens against uh, uh, Craig McDermott or pick another name, Glenn McGrath. And if he had scored a boundary in 2001, and I'm, I'm sure fans would have clapped, that would allow people to, you know, I mean, what's the word I'm after? He, he, would, have, he would have rewritten his image. He would have resurrected his image to some extent. So Azad didn't have the chance. So let's compare this to, say, Serie A in Italy, right? Italy, by Western standards, got a lot of corruption. They have got some very interesting politics. But they, got, they have been mired in match-fixing controversies from 1980s and 70s. So let's take Paolo Rossi, the great footballer, who became very popular in 1980. If you ask a lot of fans now, what do you think of Paolo Rossi? They'll say he scored a hat-trick against a great Brazilian side in 1982, and that kicked Brazil out of the tournament, which was a great, great Brazilian side. And he scored six goals, uh, including one in the finals, to to be the the most valuable player in the tournament. But guess what? He had a three-year match fixing suspension. He was suspended or dismissed from the game for three years. Then they came back in 1980. They reduced the ban. He was allowed to play and he became a star. Imagine if Paolo Rossi had not played in the 1982 World Cup. People would have a very different image of him as a guy who was convicted of match fixing and was suspended or dismissed. But he had a chance to prove his image. Azhar never had a chance. I'm not defending Azhar, but Compared to Wazi Makram, to your question, he never hit a single international boundary. He never, you know, took a free catch. 
which means the people's memory was abruptly ended with a brilliant innings uh, in Bangalore, right? The final mm-hmm. 100 he scored. And as Sharda rightly pointed out, he shied away from the media. His nonchalance as a character proved to his bane because Ajay Jadeja was more articulate. I think the other problem with Azhar, he never showed remorse. When I say he never showed remorse, that was his personality, right? I'm not holding him accountable. I'm not saying he never showed remorse, therefore he's guilty. That was his personality. As Sharda talked about, he became a little bit of that, you know, um, in, I don't care about anything. I'm nonchalant. I can uh, remove my toenail. I can, you know, file my nails at a press conference. He kind of became that, uh, I, I, mean, I don't care about the world kind of thing. That went against him when he was pronounced guilty by CBI. He could have been a little more humble. He could have shown a little more humility. For all the wrong reasons, Kapil Dev cried. I think Indians love a little bit of soap opera. Indians would love to see a little bit of, you know, a man <laughs> crying. cried and denied it. Kapil Dev exactly. cried and you know? Exactly. So, Kapil cried in the BBC. I'm interview. thinking sorry. Of, uh, what would, sorry, sorry. Sorry, go on, Vijay. You are answering. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Kapil Dev cried to uh, that, you know, in that famous Karan BBC Tapa. interview to Karan Tapar, right? People mm. felt emotional, right? I mean, I still have my doubts about Kapil's alleged links as a coach in the 1990 Ahmedabad test against New Zealand. Sachin Tendulkar enforced the follow. He told Stephen Fleming that we are enforcing the follow-on. In the dressing room, Kapil Dev and Ajay Jadeja, two Delhi people, apparently there were calls, and allegedly Kapil told Sachin Tendulkar to change the decision. Allegedly, I'm using my words very carefully, and Sachin Tendulkar being Sachin Tendulkar, he went and told Stephen Fleming, no, we are not enforcing the follow-on. Now, Ravisha, I watched the game live, Ravisha Sri on live, he was fuming, scathing on live TV saying, India cannot be running away from New Zealand and Ahmedabad. They have no chance in Australia in 1999-2000. Then in the Tehelka tapes, Ravish Shastri was even more scathing. Again, I'm not making statements. Kapil Dev had a dodgy little period as a coach. As a player, we could discuss it differently. But the fact that Kapil cried, showed remorse, put his feelings out to the public, allowed people to forgive and move on, or at least give him the benefit of the doubt. Azhar never had that personality, especially after his newfound lifestyle of Armani suits and, you know, uh, Rolex watches. I think to me, not being able to play like uh, Wazim Akram did or Apollo Rossi did, and also the fact that he didn't uh, show enough remorse in public probably went against him, uh, Sakib. That's the way I would like to look at it. Uh, Sharda, your thoughts? Great, great uh, answer to Sakir's question, Vijay. Um, I'm just looking at it in in another way that uh, had we had India not uh, punished at that time, the people had punished and let them continue to play, uh, what would we, where would we be now? You know, um, Pakistan had another very, very bad fixing episode about 10 years later. You know, at uh, into in in the Lord's test, Salman Butt and Mohammed uh, Amir, yeah, and uh, yeah, I don't read the wrong name. So, um, you know, so wh- where would we? How, what would our internal sort of uh, dynamic have been like as a as a team? So I thought about that, and and I read, and also. Uh, Vasimakra was forgiven so easily because and and came on commentary and it's just it's it was airbrushed and when you're saying that Shastri was fuming on television I'm saying can you imagine an Indian commentator now fuming on television about a decision that the team has taken in in, in English in Hindi I know they speak a little bit more freely but in English not going to happen so you see that the world has changed in so many ways 
that uh, the cricketer the cricket team is now seen as sacrosanct and you can't criticize it and whatever whatever anyway so uh, what you're saying is interesting had he been allowed to come back and play uh, the decision that justice kayum took was just bizarre um, because of the fact that he was there he you know he 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 was a fan of uh, uh, the, uh, the cricketers particularly of akram he was light on him and so on but i'm just wondering what i i don't think people in, in we didn't have a law uh that uh, uh, punishes uh, corruption in sport they bring it up every time something happens and they it's sitting in the law ministry it's ready i've read the draft but they don't push it through um and you have to ask yourself why so uh, there was there was the legal position was so weak that they couldn't do anything in that sense so they had to they had to uh, uh, forgive i mean the 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 uh, bans had to be overturned and so on but i was just thinking the other way when you're saying that you were able to watch tv and you were able to quickly switch off from um, what had happened before to this new generation of players that came in by the way i keep saying that also was new india this is also new india how many new indians do we have so uh, <laughs> you said that yeah i get a laugh every time how many new indians yeah. sorry yeah so you know in, 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 because you are able to make a clean break and go on to this thing but you've left i mean other personally i think you've left him out to dry in that sense you know the cricket community left him out to dry and um, and also important i don't think kapil dev was showing remorse vijay i think he was showing outrage there was no remorse nobody in indian cricket has showed remorse about anything to right. say sorry i've committed right. a mistake it's not happened And I think Sharda, elephant in the room is here. CBI, right? Azhar, you can call it bad luck, or he, you know, yeah. he lived so you know dangerously that yes. you know he was yes. bound to get caught. And in other yes. cases, it wasn't the CBI. Yes. So, Pradeep Magazine has an incredible story to tell about another name that came up in those tapes and was not mentioned for various reasons, uh, which I cannot mention here. Hmm. I I have read uh, Shada. I have read Pradeep Magazine's. Uh, I forgot the book name. Ninety nine with the goat picture. It used to have a goat grazing. Uh, I think not just cricket or something. That was yes, a terrific yes, book. Yeah. But again, yes. didn't reveal a lot. But it kind of gave a good idea about how these things happen. Yeah. I think the other part. Yeah. I mean, the way I think I overuse the word remorse. But you're right. Indian, even in Indian politics, right? Apologizing is seen as a sign of weakness. At least in the Western countries, yeah. after twenty years, fifteen years, whether in Australia about the indigenous Australian. a massacres foreign yeah. great number yeah, no. they said sorry. prime minister yeah. prime minister has come and say uh, a retrospective yeah, apology sorry. which is not seen as a weakness yeah. it is seen as a strength but in indian context yes. saying sorry and apology being apologetic is seen as sign of weakness so probably yeah. i think i'm wearing a western hat i've lived in australia for 14 years now when i say azhar should have been more remorseful maybe i'm a bit too harsh on him because it doesn't work like that in india and as you rightly said kapil nobody is remorseful cried yeah. kapil cried and felt angry that you know he was accused of something which shouldn't have been oh, accused yeah. so it, yeah exactly yeah. so maybe i'm trying to be too um, i think my hat is a bit too western yes. for an indian context yeah. maybe i'm yeah no because only hansi kronia apologized because hansi kronia only hansi kronia confessed he's the only one who confessed And said, "I cannot tell you the shame I feel and the unfortunate love I have for money." Who's ever said something like that? You know, and a, a mid, middle class white South African, right? So again, in yeah, different, and different, he was such so, yeah. a big figure. Yeah, and yeah. different societal pressures too, right? You know, because it's not like South Africans didn't forgive him, or it wasn't seen down as an act of shame. Yeah. But it yeah. was okay to admit and then you know live with the, you know, with the consequences. Yes. But in but yes. in India, Pakistan, our cultures, there there is so much at play. 
you know, like the great Amit Verma podcast is the sane stuff. And then there's the unseen stuff, you know, that's the, yeah. that's the society we come from. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. we've covered a lot of ground and I know that we can go on and on, but I don't want to leave out Tendulkar of this conversation, even though Tendulkar left Azar out of his book. So whoever said that, <laughs> biography by you know <laughs> Boria so again you know like Vijay I'm going to throw this to you and then Sharda can you know uh, jump in as well so what is the Tendulkar uh, Azaruddin relation uh, in public I know someone asked you a very interesting question like when Azar was removed from captaincy and they had musical chairs between Sachin and Azar why wasn't Anil Kumble given the reins why Azar kept coming back as captain so what do you recall you know of that era why you think that could be and also talk about the Sachin Azar equation that is available in public domain with your great recall. And I'm sure Sharda will be more than happy to add some stuff to it. Yeah, I think recently Ram, Ramachandra M, uh, who's a Twitter user from Bangalore, he asked a question, um, very interesting question. And I happen to, I, I don't think he responded, but I, I, that my thoughts, I started to re- recollect some of the thoughts. See, Azaruddin was the captain when Sachin Tendulkar was the deputy in the mid nineties, right? So he was groomed and even Azar had, come out and said that how Sachin Tendulkar had become a part of the leadership team, right? The the, the much cliched term, right? Ajit Wadekar was the coach then uh, uh, and Sachin was the vice captain. So Azad started to say things like during the camps, during the nets and Sachin Tendulkar's contribution was more. And we saw in the 90s, right? 93, 94 period, he was always full of ideas and Azad sometimes had to chase him away because uh, he was giving too many ideas for every ball. Uh, but then, uh, I mean, that was that was a complaint. But I, I, that's why I find it very funny when some of the modern writers say Sachin Tendulkar was always stationed in one place. They haven't watched a lot of ball by ball cricket in the nineties, right? Tendulkar used to be very, very active and like <laughs> a jack in the box. Why bowlers mad? Yes. Mad. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So they're coming back to uh, Azar. But then when Sachin Tendulkar became a captain in ninety six, by then Azar's lifestyle has changed and he was a different personality, right? What has transpired was um, there was a feeling, I think Bishan Singh Bedi made this statement saying, as Sachin Tendulkar gave his very best to Azar when he played under him, but Azar hasn't reciprocated the same thing when Tendulkar had those difficult tours of South Africa um, and West Indies in 96-97. So that was a pretty blanket accusation from the former Indian co- captain and coach, Bishan Singh Bedi. And Azar responded, as I said earlier, right? Azar wasn't somebody who took criticism that well. He used to respond to it. And I remember, I think, could have been read if I, my memory fails me a bit. He said something like, I was averaging between this uh, in a 30-odd before Sachin Tendulkar became a captain. But during his captaincy tenure, I averaged some 42. Therefore, I've contributed more. What more can I do? That's a, a stock standard answer saying I batted better under mm. his tenure. But I think what Bishan Bedi meant and what a lot of us felt on TV was Azar was never involved, at least on the field on screen. He wasn't involved. He wasn't consulted. Maybe I'm alleging that he probably didn't contribute enough in the dressing room because back then the noise started to come even from the tour of England, 96, when Azar was the captain. He finished the game. He didn't speak to anyone in the dressing room. He was always on the mobile. And then off the field, uh, I think he was married to Sangeeta Vigilani and he was, wasn't available for a conversation with anybody. So this whole thing of Azar being a, a loner from the team started to rounds and he wasn't probably contributing as a leader what Azar gave, gave such intelligent credit for as a vice captain. He wasn't reciprocating. I think that was one of the accusations, right? Now, coming back to his things that again, very interesting, when Tendulkar lost his captaincy, 
it could have very well gone back to Anil Kumble or a younger player, but they went back to us. The context someone has to get, I think 97, India played a four nation triangular series, or four nations, sorry, quadrangular series in Sharjah, 97. England, West Indies, Pakistan, and India. India lost all the three games, and Tendulkar was the captain. And Sunil Gavaskar, again, we talk about evidence. He said something on air, which prompted Vijay Lokapuli of the Hindu to write a column as well. Uh, I think Tendulkar was run out. And then Azhar and Dravid were batting, and Azhar had ran a very poor run and got himself run out. And Tony Kozir and Gavaskar was on were were on air, and Gavaskar says something in a fuming, hurt tone. Azharuddin ran as if there was no tomorrow for him, and there will not be a tomorrow for him if India were to lose this game. So mm-hmm. there would not be a thing. So it was such a, you know, it was it was on the air, you know, live comment where it literally said Azhar ran as if with no. head or someone would say that he was throwing the match away i mean you could interpret the way you want to do and then vijay lokapalli wrote a column about it the next day uh, in the hindu interestingly tendulkar resigned after that for some inexplicable reason they gave the captaincy back to us so despite him being a acu- i mean having a very poor tour of west indies there's another thing i think tendulkar was very upset he hasn't written about it in his book but it was written in one of the columns either vijay lokapalli or one of the hindu writers in the caribbean india and west indies were 1-1 i think uh, the first game one day series i'm talking about port of spain right uh, india lost and the second game uh, ganguly and tendulkar chased down those targets so it was 1-1 the third game india went to that it was played in kingstown uh, king not kingston kingstown uh, in, in in george the island uh, no sorry kingstown grenada they they had a team uh, session the day before at the beach it is supposed to be a team session allegedly allegedly i haven't seen the evidence azuruddin brought sangeeta to the thing uh, to the beach and they were having their own time while the team was trying to have a bit of a bonding session and apparently sachin tendulkar was in amused one bit next day when india went to the game uh, azza was not following the instructions india was in a good position and then azza played some rash strokes and strokes and india lost the game a close game and in the final game the caribbeans won and they they won the series 3-1 so this is one particular episode where it's off the field but it's a team dynamic and azhar allegedly bringing sangeeta bijland to a beach session which is supposed to be more of a team bonding became his own personal space so some of these things came started to come out in the press i'm not too sure whether they can all be proved but we have got enough evidence unfortunately sachin tendulkar has written anything about it but then when azhar became the captain uh, when sachin tendulkar resigned and that was the peak of sachin tendulkar's period right the between 98 and 99 and he scored a lot of test runs one day runs so in a way you could argue that tendulkar had performed the best under azhar maybe azhar respected him as a player he didn't touch him too much and as a great player or you could argue that tendulkar when the responsibility was lifted off his shoulder he was able to perform again it's a it's a theory but the, there is a school of thought even from some very senior former players that azhar probably could have contributed more as a senior statesman to sachin tendulkar's captaincy now how does that translate in their current lives which is kind of hard to prove because it's very hard to get anything out of them i think i've i've heard some other recent interviews and he's always talked about sachin tendulkar being a very great player and how much he's contributed and i think even in one of those virat kohli sachin tendulkar comparison azhar has said sachin tendulkar is still a better player i would say at least based on the sound bites evidence azhar has a huge amount of respect for sachin tendulkar 
has sachin tendulkar said anything about but again it's very hard to get any sound bite out of sachin tendulkar these days or any time right he's 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 a very soft spoken that that has to be the most one of the most horribly ever written books by borey majumdar on sachin tendulkar you would have to blame sachin tendulkar as well for choosing borey as the author then probably not giving enough information so it's hard to tell their relationship but i i would i would i would like to assume that there is a bit of a hurt in sachin tendulkar in his heart of hearts about how azhar could have supported him more again it's an allegation unproven but that's where i would like to look at sakib but that's the kind of stuff you write in a book right who wants to know about the cover <laughs> yeah. drives that are all on youtube you talk about dravid's declaration then you come out you know on on the azhar episode but again uh, uh, things are complex and you know uh, tendulkar knows his reasons for not to mention that book so sharda anything you want to add on the tendulkar um, azhar fallout I mean, that's I in public think, domain in the reporters lounge uh, yeah no i don't i don't have anything so new to add but you know when these stories start coming out that this is what happened and this is what azhar did so the stories are coming from the team to the reporter it's not that the reporter has seen this so so it's come out with the this thing to say that listen this guy is not doing what he should do so it's obviously come from the team to the reporter whoever's written the piece we must say that it, it, it's not even a leak it's like a it's like an exchange of liquids uh, so so um definitely there was def- bad blood towards the end of it towards the uh, uh, the time when tendrukar gave up the captaincy that was evident which has given us a lot of examples um and i think azar's power at the time just seems to be quite inexplicable because he's failing you know he's uh, as in we are not we won a lot of match uh, we won a lot of tests in um, india because of the wickets that they played with which you cannot talk about now because it's apparently a patriotic thing to do unpatriotic uh, unpatriotic thing to do about uh, underwater wickets um so in in that sense i think when azhar azhar keeps keeps getting the captaincy back when you should actually like vijay singh have gone ahead and to be sitting in the dressing room with that guy and to be playing with him and says look what is this do you only want the captaincy or what do you want why am why are we in this situation where you get the captaincy when i'm captain you're not uh, sort of involved or there um i don't think azhar was sociable in that sense but i think when then when the early tendulkar uh, and and azhar the, the first sort of first half of the 90s they were pals they would uh, you would see them together the great pho- photographs together they had a good bond tendulkar is a very good fielder as well so they had that and he was young and he had energy and you know the kind of player that his captain needed and at one point he was like the sole shining star in how he used to play overseas um not very accurate but yeah that's the the bigger picture so i wonder what is like now i remember there was a there was some me some function that was held at a club in bombay and azuddin was invited for that function and i think there was a handshake of sorts that was there it was just very very my friend clayton murzel will remember this in detail there was some kind of uh, a very sort of cordial but basically distant kind of exchange that they had but i don't think that they are great friends at all in any way maybe they'll sit down and have a chat together at some point who knows keep one more thing i'd like to add i mean uh, sharda could question you know challenge me if i'm not factually correct there was one thing that was reported back then because sachin tendulkar's last proper series was in australia 99 2000 as a captain azhar was not there and uh, allegedly sachin tendulkar said he didn't want both azhar and nayan mongia for the tour so that's why we had msk prasad and uh, you know all those sort of players 
and it was a very weak middle order because Rahul Dravid had a poor tour, Lakshman, yeah. despite scoring 100. Uh, but then in the one-day series which followed, as, as Sachin apparently had asked for Ajay Jadeja to come in. And apparently the selector said, if you want Ajay Jadeja, we'll give you Ajay Jadeja and Mohammad Azruddin. So Sachin that's said, just, no, right. I don't. That's right. That's correct. Okay. So, so, correct. so that could have been, I mean, as Sharda said, inexplicable power, right? Sunil Gavaskar has openly called him out something on air and there were whispers. And Sachin Tulga warns Ajay Jadeja saying, no, no, you take Jadeja and Azhar. And Sachin says, no, thank you. No, thanks. And then in, when uh, Sachin Tendulkar came back to India, he had already submitted his resignation. They asked him to captain for the two tests in Mumbai and Bangalore, and they bring Azhar back for the Bangalore test. So you could have seen the dressing room would have been an absolute rotten place at that time, right? You're yeah. not going to play very well when you have a dressing room where the captain doesn't yeah. get the team that he wants, and they bring in some people that he doesn't like to have in the team. So it would yeah. have been very tough, actually. All right, so I think we 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 covered a lot of ground. Uh, we should be you know closing this in few minutes, uh, but I want to ask about some other other anecdotes that you know you both can remember that are beyond <laughs> fixing, beyond captaincy. Something that uh, you remember. I know he used to wear a green helmet. Uh, Vijay, you have something to say about that too? Yeah, I mean that's a very strange thing. I've never ever figured out why he wore a green helmet uh, because you know his famous locket, which was popular because he used to have his tongue out, right? I mean sometimes when he played the shot, some of the f- great photographs were great because uh, the tongue out with the red dust on the soil and his mm-hmm. locket um, must be very, uh, uh, I think, must be a very uh, pious thing in the uh, Islam. Um, then the green helmet, right? Because the reason I'm bringing it up is Nayan Mongia in the 2001 famous uh, Eden Gardens test match against Australia, he wore a yellow helmet. Um, and I think, Sharda, yeah. you only wrote John Wright's book, right? You wrote John Wright's book, yeah. right? So in that well, book, there's an explanation. Yeah. Because back then, people are asking, why are you wearing a yellow helmet? And Sharda wrote in the John Wright's book saying, um, Nayan Mongia couldn't find the right-sized helmet. And the only thing that was available that was yeah, in yeah. a different color, they had to, you know, they couldn't paint. They didn't have enough time to paint it. So someone like Nayan Monge had to explain to people. Again, he was another guy who was involved in match fixing and allegedly, et cetera, et cetera. So the yellow helmet was a bit of a talking point in 2001. So I don't think anyone talked about Aziz's green helmet, uh, but it was strange. But then he became white and then he started to wear blue. The other interesting thing we haven't talked about is, um, you know, yes, everyone is right in saying Aziz has never looked at as a Muslim because he played for India. He was there for the talent and he was made captain. We could say Raj Singh Dungapur did whatever it is, but he was made captain as a non-controversial figure or a yes man yeah. who would, would tow, uh, tow the Let line. But I think one interesting anecdote I would like to say is, I think it was 1994 Australasia Cup. Um, uh, India lost to Pakistan in the final. Um, and Bal Thakare, the then uh, uh, Supremo in Mumbai of Shiv Shena, he made a very interesting statement saying, Azhar plays captain's knocks against all the opponents, but he doesn't play captain's knocks against Pakistan. Now, to me, that's a bit of a dog whistle from a political leader. I, I don't remember anyone supporting Azhar back then, but it's a, it's a different era. Right? If, if someone were to make a statement now in a video, it'll be on everyone's WhatsApp uh, window and on you know Twitter and people would be calling either as a dog, gaslighting or dog whistle, whatever. But I don't remember too many people supporting Azhar back then. It would have hurt because he was representing India as a captain. And as Sakib rightly pointed out, he had a good record. He has scored test hundreds against Pakistan. He scored, you know, some good runs. And to accuse him of not performing, playing captain's knock against Pakistan, everyone knows the intention, right? Baal Thakra is saying that. 
to me, that is a very disappointing statement in 94 uh, when he was a captain. I think, in my opinion, that could have been well avoided. So I'll just, uh, I'll, I mean, all the, the other stories are always sort of lovely. I'll always remember, uh, you know, his his general demeanor and, and what he was like when he, uh, when you met him and 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 how he behaved and and the incident, but this, the Bal Thakre thing is, you know, this is just post the Bombay riots. So immediately you have put this guy, you you know, Bal Thakre has this uh, has the capacity to you know create this real frenzy about things. Pakistan was not going to play in Bombay, so Bombay changed itself in, in that sense, and he made this statement, and uh, you are then. So you, can you see the distance that the board has, the BCCI has from the political establishment of that time? They are saying we are above you. We don't care about these things that you're saying, right? That's the that's the distance that there is, because there's not that much money in the game. That it's just a symbolic thing to have a Indian cricket team and an Indian cricket captain for the for the politicos of the world. But the in, the conf, in a post. Bombay riots and bomb blast situation, your captain of India is still a Muslim and it's no big deal for the cricket followers of the country. So look at the the, the distance we have traveled, you know, to where we are today is what I was just thinking about. I, I'd forgotten about this Bal Thakre statement. I only remember the pitches being dug up and so on. So, yeah, I think that's, maybe that's what we should be fretting about more than what Azuruddin did in his life as a cricketer. Absolutely. So let's talk about redemption. And I'm going to quote as a concluding part. There's an article Rohit Brijnath wrote for ESPN Crick and Info. I'll share the uh, link to the article in the show notes. And quote, this is how the article ends. There is no excuse for him. There cannot be. And he carries alone the responsibility for his sins. But even now, in his disgrace, he returns like an old familiar ghost to haunt me. A man who did himself no justice. And in some strange way, perhaps... Possibly, neither did we. So have we failed him? I mean, is this what Rohit is trying to say, Sharda? I mean, uh, I know uh, we've gone on and on. We've covered a lot of aspects. Yeah. We've given our opinions. Uh, and for me, it's like, you know, losing a friendship. You know, uh, it, it was a very painful experience to see him fall yes. from grace. And I personalize it. Uh, I could not find any other expression. It's like, you know, when you fall out of the friend, you know, he, yeah. he was part of an imagination. He was part of me cheering for the Indian team between Tendulkar and Gavaskar. He was sandwiched as my favorite player. So yeah. what Brijnath says here, uh, does it resonate well with you? Uh, I don't know if we failed him. I mean, have we failed to reach out to him? I don't think we failed to reach out to him or maybe we have. Uh, I think cricket needed to be a little bit more careful with how you dealt with the entire situation. But I think Indian cricket at that time just got swept up in this, um, you know, avalanche of money that came at it. And, they, and, and this sort of cast him aside. We are not very good with uh, older players. And I think we left him uh, to one side, but he's back. He's <laughs> in this strange world. He could be anything. He could become anything. So who knows? He became a member of parliament. So, uh, you know, I think he did okay. but. What I think for fans, I think he has. I don't think fans will forgive, will forget him. What, how, how they deal with him, how they forgive him. I, I don't think fans. I think fans and he still have some bond between them, uh, no matter what. Cricket fans, that is. Vijay, you want to have a concluding yeah, comment on Sakib, this? I think, I think as a romantic, I would like to think about what Michael Atherton wrote in the mid '90s when he said. Um, other than Brian Lara, he was the most, most naturally gifted genius, right? Because that included Sachin Tendulkar. So, because 
Atherton, who's a very astute student of the game, he felt, along with Lara, he was the most naturally gifted genius. So that's a high praise. But if I wear my pragmatic hat, I would also say as a batsman, he probably wasn't the best against short pitch bowling on bouncy wickets. That's from a cricketing perspective. But as as Shada said, he has lived his life. He's a wealthy man beyond the uh, beyond the reach of so many other Indians. So cricket has given him the fandom. Cricket has given him multiple captaincy. Cricket has given him so much. And he has, yeah, let people down as well in the process. And for that, he has done the time. So I don't think India or cricket have left him down because, yeah, we could have cared about a little more about his mental health in the new modern way. Probably back then, mental health wasn't that big. A few more people could have reached out to him asking, he was he okay? But other than that, he got his fame through cricket. He made his money. He lived his life. He wore his suits. He wore his watches. So I don't think there is anything uh, Indian cricket hasn't done for him. Could he have been a bit more careful in his lifestyle choices? That's for another day. So uh, it's a complex character. Um, he could have been a little more articulate, but not not to be. But uh, again, he's got like 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 Armogan used to say, "Cured say good in parts, some very good parts, some not so very good parts." I think that's the perfect way to end this, uh, Sharda Vijay. Thank you for the generous time you spared for this podcast. I think we are closing in a two-hour mark, but it 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 deserved this kind of a discussion. Uh, we didn't leave a corner uh, unturned. Hopefully, the listeners will chime in and enjoy this conversation, and hopefully. It was a fair account of what has played out in front of our eyes. Uh, not to sound too biblical, I call him the fallen angel. <laughs> Thanks, Sakib. Thank you. Really nice here. Thank you, Vijay. Really good, thought-provoking sort of conversations and, and, and thoughts from all of you. Thank you for having me. Thank you, Shada. It was a, an absolute privilege. Uh, thank you, Sakib, for having me again. Thank you.